Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio this week. Next to me is my good friend, Mike D. How are you, Mike? I'm great. How are you doing? Well, we are about to go on an awesome uh, journey here because this week we're going to be profiling the band Anthrax and one of our all-time favorites. I'm excited. This is an all-time favorite of mine. And so not only, not only Anthrax, but 35 years of Anthrax. I uh, had a great day with those guys. I've had a long history with those guys. And uh, me and Frank Bello uh, uh, specifically had a, one of the best times ever just last Friday. They're currently on tour right now with Slayer uh, and Death Angel. It's a great, great package. Uh, so definitely check out that. So we're going to we're gonna go ahead and jump right on in here. Um, again, 35 years of Anthrax. Doesn't seem real because I'm only 28. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny when I, you know, when I put that, when I put that to Frank, and he goes, and you'll, you'll, you guys will hear it, uh, you know, in the, in the interview portion of the show. He goes, you know, when you say it like that, he goes, it's not like, you know, it doesn't even occur to me, like, and then you say it and go, wow, 35 <laughs> years. Yeah. You know, uh, what's so amazing about a band like Anthrax? Not only just that they're still around after 35 years. But still around in, in still making very awesome, relevant, unbelievably good music. Uh, was it, I guess it was Brawl Kings was released. Um, it was early this year. It was early this year. February this, this year. And um, and it's not like, you know, we talked about this too. Uh, it's not like it's like, oh, you know, it's pretty good for their, you know, 19th album. Or <laughs> or it's, you know, not bad for a, guy, for a band this late in the game. Yeah, it's amazing. I it's told them, really I said, it is shocking how yeah. good Frawl Kings is. And when I, when I say shocking, I don't mean like, I can't believe it. I'm shocked that some older gentleman uh, 35 years down the road made a good record. No, I'm just yeah. saying is that they still tour like they're in their 20s. And they, and that album sits right next to my copy of The Mongo Living, metaphorically. Well, I want to see uh, real quick, uh, I have to give major credit to uh, John Danaeus, and I hope that's how you say his last name. I'm sitting here and I have a Shadows Fall tattoo on my right arm. So when Anthrax first took him away from Shadows Fall, I was a little pissed because that meant the end of that band. Right. But he's really breathed new life into them in the same way that maybe uh, uh, Stevie Young in ACDC or uh, I forgot the guitar player's name, he was Priest now. But in that kind right. of way, sure, just, like, sure. just they feel it, there's a youth about it and there's an excitement there. And I think even like Charlie and Scott were talking about how they even extended certain sections of songs to accommodate his soloing. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And he's an amazing player. I love John. Awesome. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, because we were we were trying to talk about that. We were trying. I was literally trying to put put it to them, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, with Frankie, I was telling him, I was like, "Where is this coming from? Like, <laughs> like, what is the inspiration?" And he's not one to phone in any answer in. That's what's so great about yeah. the, about Frankie is um, is that he was like, you know, we're we're just, you know, just like that. He's not going to phone in an answer. He's not going to phone in an album. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, it has to come from somewhere. Right. I, I originally thought, and we're going to get into this. I originally thought it was maybe it was the return of, of singer Joey Belladonna. For those that are listening, uh, of course, Belladonna left in 1993 or was asked to leave in 1993. Uh, and we'll get into all that and made uh, a return. Um, I guess it, I guess it would have to have been 2011. 2011. And, and yeah, yeah, 2010 and 11 when they were recording the record. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe even, maybe even actually 2011, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the year worship music came out. So. Right, right, sure. And uh, and so you know, so maybe, so maybe that was it because that was another like shocking record, but they were able to <laughs> maintain that. So it can't just be Joey Belladonna, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's no discredit to him whatsoever because he is singing, 
uh, and performing his ass off. Yeah, well, just <laughs> a world class as much as he ever did. And that dude and Frank Bellow too. Those guys don't age, man. No. Well, they, they don't have it on stage. But I mean, Joey's voice is just it doesn't 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 quit. No. I mean, my God, I was amazed because I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on this later, but I never got to see Anthrax in the heyday. My first Anthrax show was on the Fuel, uh, not the Fuel, uh, what's it called? It's not 442. Okay, with John Bush. Yeah, right, right. with John Bush years. So when I first saw Joey back with him, I couldn't believe how good his voice was. I mean, because a lot of singers of his era, or, you know, they had to tune it down a little bit to accommodate. You well, know, anybody, age, you know? well, anybody that, that sings that high yeah. and sings that often, that's yeah. something else. I mean, think about it. You know, when you have the luxury of being a, like an Iron Maiden, where you can play anywhere in the world and and for whatever reason, not that Anthrax isn't popular. It's not that they're not relevant mm-hmm. uh, and not making. I mean, for all Kings is a is a classic record, living and breathing right now. It's yeah. not something revisionist or something that we'll discover later or yeah. ahead of its time. It is a powerful piece of, of music right here, right now. Well, let me ask you this. You oh, know. sorry, you're in the middle of thought. Well, I was, <laughs> so. gonna, I was just gonna say this. I was just gonna say yeah, that. Yeah. that but for whatever reason, you know that if there was a hierarchy, you know, them being part of the, the unofficial big four, it right. includes Metallica, Slayer, uh, and Megadeth, they would be number four. They would be at the bottom of that in terms of, of, of commercial success uh, and popularity. A lot of that thing has to do with a lot of lineup changes. But mm. but then again, look at Megadeth uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> as well. So when you're when you've got somebody like Bruce Dickinson and Iron Maiden, where they can they can do you know say 20 shows every you know every couple of years yeah. you know joey belladonna is you know they're doing 100 plus shows a year yeah. just for just to stay alive for business purposes they're punching in nine to five right, uh, right yeah <laughs> well i mean again no phoning in for, the, for, for these for, i said punching uh, in, punching in. in okay time clock right but, but that's the point i wanted to make was yeah. him able to sing at that level and that consistently night after night is yeah. nothing short of, of, of a miracle you know well you said one thing that just kind of triggered one other thing i was going to say and that's uh to put it visually if if thrash metal were an hourglass and of course they had the top half of the big four and the bottom half would be the others like your testament anthrax uh i'm sorry testament overkill exodus those guys the next anthrax four, is in the like... middle that little part of the hourglass in the middle that connects the pure thrash ones from the ones that maybe experiment a little bit more, like obviously Megadeth and Metallica have, to varying degrees of success, right? Experiment with their sound a lot. Anthrax, even though during the John Bush years it was a, almost a different band and stuff, but they are more pure thrash to me, and they connect the pure thrash bands like Testament and Exodus to your big four bands. Like they're the, they're the right. missing, they're the link. Not the sure, link, they're there. Um, what I was going to ask you before though, and this might be a, a premature question given that Metallica's album is not out yet, but where do you rank for all kings as opposed to, or in comparison with Dystopia and Repentless? And yeah, that, that, that's a good thing because because you know, all, in terms of the big four, they've all uh, have got new albums. Even even Metallica has yeah. an impending album coming out, which is you know they, they don't do that very often. And you've heard at least two songs already. And, and yeah, and the world has heard heard two songs, which are both really really pretty good. Pretty, yeah, pretty good. Um, uh, but that's what I mean. Like you know, I and it's no disrespect to Metallica, but when you hear those two songs. It comes as more of a, as a relief <laughs> that it's good, or it comes as more of a. Oh, as thank a, God! I was a surprise. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I know you're having fun with it, yeah. but I, and, I, and I don't mean. No, I, it makes right. total sense. Yeah, exactly. But when when you hear for all kings, it, I'm shocked, but in a completely different way. I'm just yeah. kind of like, how can this be this? I'm good? shocked. It's 
this is almost better than the last one. How is that possible? Oh, yeah. right, right. It, it, and it, I say it, almost because I can't choose. I love them both. Well, you know, I, mean, I say, you know, but just the fact that it's a contender for being the best album they've ever done, both yeah, of them are, yeah. is, 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 that's, that's kind of the deal, yeah. you know? Uh, and so, but yeah, and, and that's something else in terms of maybe not commercially or uh, in terms of legacy, but out of Dystopia and Repentless, uh, and even I have to say, even the Metallica songs that I heard, I think I think Anthrax wins. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too, actually. Because <laughs> there's just something so it it inspires a level of confidence. You know, I, I you know I feel bad for the Slayer guys, and and you know, and uh, you know, I actually got to have a a great talk with Carrie on Friday as well, and uh, actually about the show and about the legacy of uh, of Anthrax and everything else. Something very off the record and very mm-hmm. casual. Uh, for those that are listening, I know they think that, that Carrie King may give off a really, um, you know, bad guy, or I mean, he is a badass, but, a, you know, kind of, you know, imagery. But uh, if you ever get the chance to talk with him, he's like the friendliest guy with the friendliest voice, too, by the way. He's got like that, Isn't that weird? Southern California, <laughs> you know, he's like your older brother you would ask to buy uh, yeah. beer, buy you beer for you when you were underage. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so I know those guys have had had to kind of deal with obviously with you know a major loss of you know and and, and nothing and, and no offense to to you know like guys like Dan Spitz, former guitar player for Anthrax and some of the other people, but uh, you know they didn't lose their engine. Their engine yeah. is Charlie. The engine is Scott. The engine is Frank. You know the, you know the you know uh, even Joey to, to an extent. You know even though they lost him for many many years, but those three guys are the engine that is Anthrax. Mm. You know, and they even lost Frankie. You know, uh, briefly uh, in a, in a live capacity. Well, he was um, playing with helmet. Right, yeah. and uh, that. Uh, but but in terms of you know the, the recording, but Slayer had to, to deal with losing you know their engine. Mm. And as much as again, no disrespect to these guys, uh, you know, like. Dave Lombardo and, and Tom Araya and even, even Carrie, you know, Jeff Hanneman, if you look at the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the songwriting credits and things like yeah. that, whatever, you know, Jeff Hanneman is, uh, uh, you know, I, you want to think it's an, it's an, an equal partnership. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they lost more than a guitar player. They lost their engine. Well, at least half their engine because him and Carrie, like, yeah, even though, okay, there are, there are Jeff albums and songs and there are Carrie albums and right. songs, but Hammond's always been my favorite as far as Slayer's concerned. So, well, yeah. in, but in terms, of, in terms of just straight up songwriting and, and yeah. what has shaped them. But again, we'll say that for the Slayer episode. Right, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, we're not talking um, about them. <laughs> but to answer your question, I think Anthrax wins. I think, yeah. I, and, and not by default, not like, oh, we win because, you know, this was a race, Slayer's got a, a broken leg and then uh, and then Megadeth, <laughs> uh, the guy, you know, passed out before we got to the finish line. No, I, I mean, like, is a... Is a is a fair a fight and even an even race. I think Anthrax wins. Yeah, you and know? I'll tell you what, that album is bookended by two of their best songs ever, and chief among them is Zero Tolerance, the best closing song on an Anthrax album. I think probably since uh, Discharge. On sure, PSG. sure. Wow, that's great. And that's uh, great. And I'll, I'll say this great. because, and if they hear this, yeah. I love the last song of worship music. <laughs> But in the digital age, when there was like 15 minutes of silence at the end of it, oh, it was it Revolution Screams? Is that what it's called? Yes, yes, yes. I haven't heard it, but maybe a couple times because it's on my iPod. And, uh, you know, I just, the, the silence, I, I can't give up that much space on my iPod for it. But it's an amazing <laughs> song. I love it. But, uh, yeah. And, and, and so I, uh, and so, but what's cool about that is that, you know, it's so great to, to be excited about it because, again, so many of their peers, either in, you know, they, they they went out and it like the Big Lebowski. I went out and achieved anyway, you know, <laughs> because they've had 
their, you know, some been knocked around. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't have to weather the '90s where all the a lot of their, um, uh, I guess, peers were, you know, falling apart altogether. They right. they held it together as best as they could, and you know, and they, they even went away for for quite a while. Yeah. And so to come back, it's not like, oh, this is pretty good for, uh, you know, that. This is this is just as good as is anything out there. And that's amazing. And they're still touring like they're in their twenties. So instead of telling you and talking to you about it, let's play something. Um, I was thinking about, about playing something different. That's, that's not a single, but I love breathing lightning from for all Kings so much. Uh, a lot of times people listen to stuff and go, well, I don't know why that was the single. Yeah. Uh, in fact, evil twin, which was the first single is a really, really good song. Uh, but in terms of where I would rank it, uh, it would be maybe seventh or eighth in terms of my favorite song. I'll say, yeah, yeah, to tell you how good the album actually is, this is a great song, but it's right. not in my top five from that album. Right. I mean, it's just it, it's a great song, but there are so much greatness on that album. And and, and that's what I love about it. That's that's, yeah. that's 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 the testament to the album right there is that it is it was difficult to pick a song <laughs> from this record. So instead of instead of doing that. I'm just going to just pick the one that I like the best, which happens to also be the second single. So uh, if nothing else, just the, the lyrics of this song. Uh, the, the, the Scotty and uh, lyrics have always been, uh, you know, when he was younger, when he was in his 20s, if you've read his book, you know, he, he talks about how he, uh, he, you know, he thought he could save the world back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but I've always have loved the positivity of it. And mm-hmm. I've always loved the honesty of it. And, and, uh, and, and you know, there's a personal you know thing there and there's a some of the best lyrics uh from any anthrax song i think is in this song right here Mm -hmm. so this is from the album for all kings released earlier this year this is anthrax's breathing lightning
Okay, so that was Breathing Lightning uh, from the new album, For All Kings. And, and, you know, since we talked about, you know, the new album, uh, For All Kings, like I said, just what a powerhouse. Uh, and I can't wait for you to, to hear uh, the interview. Um, just, again, how shocking it is. I now kind of want to take you back and, and, and tell a bit of a personal history. I, uh, I was going to uh, try to include the person that's, that's also part of this story. Uh, and thankfully, we're still friends after all these years. He was, uh, he's not as, he's not as, uh, as vocal and as, uh, uh, I guess, microphone uh, friendly as, as you and I are. He's not a single either, so that, that plays into it, right? Oh, uh, well, that's true, too. He, he, he has also, yeah, you see, you see it's what, right? No, no, it's, uh, it's actually my friend Steve. But, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, so here's what I'm getting at was that since we were talking about For All Kings, I right. wanted to go back and, uh, and tell, uh, again, a personal history where kind of my anthrax journey, and I want you to do the same, oh, yeah. kind of began, was, the, you know, being here in Dallas, Texas, uh, which is specific to the anthrax history, is that this is where, if you've ever heard, of course, the song I'm the Man from the I'm the Man EP, the live one, it was recorded at the Arcadia. Right. And I was too young, uh, I guess you were as well, <laughs> to have attended said show. Right. Uh, but I was I was very well aware of of Among the Living, probably at the towards the end, uh, you know, in the middle or towards the end of that of that touring cycle. Uh, so that's why by the time you know when you're that age, when a new album comes out from one of your favorite bands, it's an event. Mm -hmm. It is a and back then, you know, people would release new music every couple of years. Well, in a 12-year-old's life, two years is the difference between, <laughs> you know, liking He-Man and liking girls. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, uh, 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 or, or, or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, uh, anyway, okay. So, uh, when they came out, what followed that, of course, was the I'm the Man EP. And, they had the, and I, there was a lot of pride. They're like, oh, my God, that was recorded in Dallas. And I remember when that show happened, and I was... You know, I, I, I can't say I was bummed I didn't get to go, but I was because I wasn't quite there yet. You know what I mean? Uh, but I knew I was, you know, a little too young. And so by the time they came back um, with a new album, it was the album State of Euphoria. Mm -hmm. And this was part of the Headbangers Ball Tour. And this was in April of 1989. And they came to Dallas. I had managed to see a couple of concerts at that at that point. Um by the, by the time of the Arcadia show, um, in that I had seen Motley, uh, and I'd seen David Lee Roth, and I think I might have seen, I don't know if I'd seen Metallica yet. I don't think so. Maybe I did. Um, seems like I did, maybe. Anyway, but the point is, this show sticks out so much to me in my mind, because at, at that point, out of the big four, you know how like, you have your friends and you have your comic books? Like, and you have, like, you're a DC guy and I'm a Marvel guy or, you know, okay. uh, right, right, <laughs> right, right. But you know what I mean? How you have, you have your, the things you identify yeah, with yeah. That, that are designed to be the opposite of your best friend. Yeah. Uh, because you have to assign yourself one. And out of the four, Anthrax was mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't dealt to me. I dealt it to me. And uh, they were coming with Exodus, which was back then, you know, it was so cool. That thing that you would do. Uh, where, oh, yeah, well, have you heard of this band? You know, and this band's heavier than your band, kind of like, you know, my dad right. can't beat up your dad kind of thing. And I was really getting into Exodus, who were opening that tour. So it was Exodus, Halloween, and Anthrax. Right. It was a perfect pacing. I loved all three of those bands. <laughs> they were all three quite different. 
uh, even though X is an anthrax or from thrash being from from each coast, I didn't I couldn't define at the time what made it so different. But I learned later it was because of them being from you know opposite coast. So my older sister uh, and her friend drops me and my little my little thirteen year old friend or however we were fourteen uh, off at the Fair Park Coliseum here at Fair Park in Dallas, and it was the first time we'd ever seen a mosh pit. We'd seen it on TV. Yeah. The, the the Anthrax Indians video, nobody is. It's like watching, you know, Times Square New Year's Eve when you live in suburbia. Like, no one is having more fun. And I probably saw that video on the Headbangers Ball show. So here it was, Headbangers Ball coming to life right in front of us at the Headbangers Ball tour featuring, you know, my favorite band, Anthrax. And uh, another reason why uh, I think that, that I was so drawn to, because I loved all four bands, no question. I mean, golly, I mean, I was, what a, what a great thing to be 12 years old, uh, you know, when Rain and Blood came out and be right there for <laughs> it and be a part of it. So, you know, with, P, you know, all those P-Cells and, you know, and Master of Puppets. And, I mean, what a, what a great thing to have been a young, a very young person to be there at the beginning of all that. Biscuits, so they don't know anything about. I know, right? <laughs> but my point is, is it? But it was the positivity of it, you know. Yeah. The, you know, the album cover didn't look, it didn't have a bunch of skulls and and uh, and blood. It was yellow, in fact. It mm -hmm. was it was the most unevil uh, cover. Though they and they they were like me, like I skated, I wore you know jam shorts, and uh, I you know I lived for for you know for Judge Dredd and, and a lot of the other comic books they referenced. So you mm -hmm. know it was. And so it just spoke to me, man. It was perfect. And yeah. it was different, even though the sound was aggressive and, and, and all that. It just, it had, it had it all for mm -hmm. me, you know? And, I, and here's a little fun fact. That I think that was John Tempesta's first night with Exodus because he was charting, you know, longtime friend. John Tempesta is a drummer. No, I know that. Right, right. I know he was on that uh, tour with that. He was. Uh, he was uh, longtime Charlie Benante's, uh, hmm. of course, drum roadie. Right. Uh, you know, a friend of theirs back from the Bronx. And, uh, and it was he, uh, Exodus had lost their drummer on that tour. Tom. Right. Yeah. And I believe that the first night of that tour, uh, of the fir his first night with Exodus was the Dallas day. I didn't know that. Here's something else that's even funny. For, and I'll, I'll only say this just for, for, for Dallas, uh, uh, people that have, that have been around for a while. Maybe you've seen a couple of shows uh, at Fair Park. In fact, I went on to see Anthrax again at Fair Park, open for Pantera many, many years later. Mm -hmm. But you know what the setup is. You know how it looks. You know where, for some reason, that show, the stage was built on the side. Mm -hmm. Meaning instead of, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you walk in and it's at the end. So the arena was wide instead of long. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like yeah. like like instead of being at the end of the hall, hall it was, on you were looking wall. at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> like I don't know how, I don't know how they got to this. I don't know how they, how they got to it because it was... <laughs> Somebody read the blueprint wrong. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if it was if it was, you know looking back, I could say things like, well, maybe you know, maybe ticket sale purposes, or yeah. maybe the block off that side. I, I I don't know, but these are just you know the memories of a, of a thirteen year old from yeah. you know from twenty six years ago. So I um, and what did you know at that time, right? <laughs> nothing, literally nothing. Uh, I did know that I was with my my friend Steve. I said my friend Steve is is uh, I'm so grateful that you know that after all these years, he and I are still great friends and. Mm -hmm. And I, I practically begged him to come on. Not that, not that you're not uh, awesome. <laughs> I just thought it would be perfect to have the person that was I'm the second choice. No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> you're, you're the host. He would be the guest. Right. And so 
Uh, but to have the person that was there uh, and just kind of see what his memories would have been, because, you know, because it, it, well, yeah. it could somewhat differ. But one thing I, I'm sure that we're in, 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 uh, in agreement on was it was one of those magical, magical evenings that you can say this band is better or, you know, this show was better or Anthrax put out a better record before or after. But in my mind, for me, the memory that I have of that evening transcends all of that. It yeah. has almost nothing to do with that. And, you know, I don't want to get into a conversation about, man, there's not bands like that. But it's like, I, you know, you, also, you, know, you only can only feel that way when you're that young as well about, about something. But I just, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how many, you know, do fans of their favorite band right now, do they get to have nights like that? Do they get to, do you know what I'm saying? I hope <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. You know? But the point is, is, is it was just, like I said, Empire Strikes Back may be a better movie than, than Return of the Jedi, but Return of the Jedi will always be my favorite because, <laughs> because it, it, came at the right, it came at the right time. Right. What are your memories of, of your introduction, man? Well, it's funny you should mention all this, and I want to tell everybody listening that we did not rehearse this. This is actually spontaneous conversation. But my gateway, not only to Anthrax, but to metal in general, was State of Euphoria. And a lot of it had to do with what you mentioned, like that something about their image with wow. the jams and stuff and yeah. the color of the album cover. That the logo was written on like all the skaters' notebooks and jackets and stuff. And that was and I, yeah. And I always equated them with skaters anyway, because like, you know, the skaters like, oh, it must be cool. And here's a little confession. I bought State of Euphoria on cassette, of course, this is back in nineteen eighty nine or whatever it was. Sure, yeah. Without hearing a note of it. Yeah. I just I picked it up, I wanted to be cool over it, and it was, you know, a good gamble, obviously. For sure. Um, I'd heard of antisocial. You know, like I said, it was a single at the time. Right. But never heard it. So I bought the tape, and uh, I, I just loved it, man. I especially love that illustration. Uh, yeah. The, the band illustration. It was just so awesome. Yeah, for sure. Totally. And also, okay, I bought this at Musicland. Remember Musicland? Of course. And I they did, sold yes. t-shirts, too. And I bought the City Euphoria t-shirt, which is now autographed, actually. Nice. Well, everyone except for Joey. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, no, that, so that album was my gateway to metal. I never heard drumming that fast before. You know, it was just, it just, I loved it. I don't know. So, little side note, uh, whenever Anthrax, in particular Scott Ian, talks down about that album, he kills a little part of me. <laughs> so please stop that. Because <laughs> I know they always say it's like their least favorite album. And, and of course, from an artist's perspective, yeah, I, you don't know what's in their head, you know, whatever. But they always say it's like their least favorite album in the catalog. And, and I, I think it's vastly underrated and it's very special to me. And it, it brings me back to a certain time that totally. I'm, very, I'm very happy to think about. You know? But just but at the same time, I think it was also a traumatic thing for them in, in the same way that we equate that with, with just this magical thing. They were like magical beings. And right. that was a great thing. Is that, uh, you know, things that I, I've, I've learned about what was happening with the band at the time uh, from them, uh, things that I've read. Again, Ian is very, uh, very candid in, in, his, in his book about, you know, I mean, they were financially uh completely i mean i mean things that would have never occurred to our 12 year old brains back right. then uh and iron maiden basically came in and and it's a very famous story about it. basically came in and basically saved them uh, right. paid off a major debt put them on tour and so because of that they weren't able to work on the album yeah. the way that they would want to and it makes total sense because again i love be all end all i love who cares schism oh, yeah I love, I, I love the album but they're but you know but in hindsight this is a revisionist as much as i love it love it then there are some songs uh and i said i think ian puts it perfectly when he says that they just they they didn't marinate long enough like that their songs i'd be that, curious to hear it marinate 
Just, just because. No, just because. No, no that's, the, that's the whole idea. It's like, like, like what, what could have. Yeah, I want to know specifically what they would change about it, what they didn't get yeah. around to doing. And little side note, I'm sure you might agree, but at the age we were when this album came out, now it's dark had the F word like so many times. It was so cool. But I'm saying like, like I saw Blue Velvet because of like I didn't, I didn't know who David Lynch was or what Blue yeah. Velvet was, and uh, you know, and and how cool is that when a band, you know, like I, I, I try. The first time I had a beer or, you know, it was like I had to drink Heineken because I saw James Hetfield drink one. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, like that's that's the brand for me. And yeah. uh, so instead of being inspired to drink booze, I was inspired to see this great art art film. You know, yeah. it, it's just so funny how Scott Ian, this little short Jewish guy from Queens, on the other hand, is this kind of almost hipster. Like he would be he would be a hipster now in this day and age. Yeah. And, uh, you know, somebody that completely identifies with metal. Is somebody that's really into like art house cinema and uh, and, and all types of different you know uh, yeah. uh, obscure art forms and, and it's 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 really has colored uh, and has enriched Anthrax all of them I mean not just yeah. Scotty and uh, you know Frank Bellow obviously and Charlie Benante uh, all three of them uh, Benante is very much to the uninitiated you know people want to point to Scotty in for all of the unbelievably awesome riffs, which he wrote very, you know, many of and, yeah. and performs them like, like nobody, but he can, but, you know, people outside of, you know, that, you know, that bubble uh, or don't know much about music in general or the music business don't, you know, they equate Charlie Benante as, as the drummer because he excels so well at that. Well, yeah. It, 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 like, like you couldn't imagine Neil Peart of Rush, like being responsible for the opening riff to Limelight or something, you know? <laughs> But what if he works on the other hand? <laughs> right. Uh, but Charlie Benante is responsible for, you know, uh, so many reasons. You know, I didn't know that until the sample for two album, uh, reading the, the liner notes. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Things like, like, what? I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I got to tease Scott, uh, Scott a bit about that. Like, like, like hey, I mean, uh, how, how much are you happy about, 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 about that fact? But, you know, <laughs> but no, I mean, like Madhouse and, yeah. and especially the uh, during the John Bush year, like you were saying, but. Uh, but a lot of those unbelievably awesome riffs, the uh, like keep it the family, yeah. you know, all those, um, you know, is his, you know, all those, all those breakbeat stuff, all yeah. that real kind of like super groovy, uh, you know, you can, you can always can tell when it's got, even it's got more of a faster type kind of like, uh, like you mentioned discharge earlier, like, yeah. you know, kind of more of that kind of that almost surf guitar kind of thing. Like, in fact, they even cover a, uh, adventure song, um, on uh, uh, Killer Bees, right? Right. There's two of them on there. Na, 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 I can't think which one's which. I think it's I think Pipeline it's, and something else. And sex. sex yeah. yeah, right. Anyway, okay. Uh, so, real quick though, before you, since you mentioned it, and I know I just want to say if you haven't read Scott's book, stop right now and go get it. It's, it that's all I read is these rock star <laughs> And it is seriously in my top five. It's not like top two. It is it really is good. Really, really good. It's really he good. addresses like everything in there that I would have asked him if I were interviewing him. Like to, to rake him across the coals and stuff. He actually comes out and says everything that well, you, you know, want to know. You know, he, he, you know, he and I talked about this, and, and he said that that was kind of how he he maybe on purpose or not. Yeah. But how he kind of went about that, like you know, not like what would people ask him, but kind of like what would he ask him. Yeah. Well, you know, chief among them is and there's this one thing I've always wanted. I noticed this little inconsistency seeing him interviewed, where like before before Joey came back, he would kind of not right, make fun of Joey's voice, but kind of talk down about it. Like, oh, we prefer, you know, we, Joey can sing like a bird, but we need a lion. And that'd be right. John Bush and right. like that. And now all of a sudden, Joey's the voice of Anthrax and there's no other, blah, blah, blah. 
he addresses that and he totally takes responsibility for it, which I loved. I'm like, holy crap, this is right. You know, it was just cool to see somebody not, you know, uh, mincing words. Well, well, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes with that though, uh, uh, to to offer a, a rebuttal there, and I, and I know that he knows that, and yeah. I think that's probably like a responsible thing. There was a. Uh, I won't, we won't go into it here, but you know there was a, a, a major debacle with the behind the music thing, and, yeah. and, and, and uh, you know that was the mistakes that he should have but did not take responsibility for that I think that he regrets. Well, it's never that, too late, you know. Awesome. Exactly, and, and that's <laughs> the point. It is never too late, and yeah. and and so I think I think that it was it's fair to to say that that could be the root of, of some of that, and I think that uh, and the fact that he eventually. Um, and you know, was inspired to do so. You know, um, to kind of you know talk about that a little bit. But here's here's what I I wanted to say was that mm. again, think about like the imagery that this paints, especially for for young people uh, uh, at the time. You know, you know, like how like there's bands that you like, but maybe you didn't want to meet them. Like, I mean, golly, you wanted to, you wanted, I wanted to be an Anthrax. I wanted to be their friend. All right, you know, yeah, just... right, yeah. You know, like I love Slayer, but I wanted to be in Anthrax. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. I skated. I read comic books. Uh, it, not not to mention, but specifically those comic books. That, yeah. You know, and I wanted to break Frankie's hand so I could play bass for them just for a couple songs. Every couple just songs, like, right? Like, uh, <laughs> he's a scrapper from the Bronx. You might may have, have your hands full there. Well, I have to make it look like an accident. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so I wanted to play something from that time. I can remember, and this is my shout out to, to my main man Steve Ainsworth here. Um, is uh, uh, is back in the day. Uh, I used to walk to his house. Uh, he lived across the street from the school. And, and so we would kind of go over there before school and kind of hang out, out there after school. And this is actually even predates, uh, you know, spreading the disease. There was a, in, in America, at least there was an EP, for, actually the single from spreading the disease is obviously armed and dangerous. And they included uh, two tracks that were on, uh, on anything else uh, really um, was a song called raise hell and a song called Panic, and I think Panic, there's a live version of Panic that's on there, and then, then there's a song, Raise Hell. Mm -hmm. And nothing for me, pre-Among the Living, or even, believe it or not, even pre-State of Euphoria, as much as I love Among the Living, uh, really just shapes and frames and kind of defines that that discovery. They were discovering themselves, I was. we were discovering ourselves as young people, and and somehow this soundtrack just was perfect for it. So this is a song, Raise Hell. It's uh, from the Armed and Dangerous EP from 84.
again, that was Raise Hell from the Armed and Dangerous EP. So, uh, you know, that, that is one of my favorite songs. It's just got such an edge to it. But even if it didn't, it, again, it just, it was the right song at the right time. And again, who doesn't like a song called Raise Hell? You know, <laughs> Run DMC had an entire album uh, two years later called Raise in Hell. And it was uh, probably the best uh, hip hop album of the 80s, if not of all time. Uh, okay, so now, instead of hearing it from us, you want to hear it from Andrax. Uh, so what we're going to do is here is that we're going to go ahead and take care of our sponsors here to uh, keep the lights on. And uh, we're going to bring you Frank Bello, uh, legendary bass player, uh, original member, founding member of Anthrax. And uh, the most, one of those awesome stage performer guys you'll ever see in your entire life. Again, instead of being up there, you know, grimacing and, you know, Frank Bello is this is smiling, enjoying himself, enjoying his life, wanting you to do the same. How could you not do that when, when you're watching somebody enjoying themselves so much? Rashing around like a 20-year-old and doesn't miss a note. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, 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 and you know, and, and, I mean, hasn't missed a beat. So anyway, first thing I want to talk about here, uh, you know, for, for our sponsors here and some of the things I wanted to mention was, well, is number one is, as you all know, I'm also uh, got, uh, you know, now both feet into the professional wrestling world. And I want to tell you about our next show, which is called Tales from the Ringside, which is on October 29th. And this is going to be awesome. Uh, we've got a great, great, great lineup coming up. Uh, Rodney Mack is going to be there. Uh, there's going to be a 30 minute Ironman match between uh, Americos, who was recently featured on w on uh, Monday Night Raw for the WWE. He's going to be facing uh, Unholy Gregory James. Uh, Christy James will, will be there. Lots and lots of great action. It's going to be at the Crowley Rec Center on October 29th. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry. I think it actually is on the 20. Yeah, the 29th, which is a Saturday. Normally the shows are on a Sunday, so forgive me. Um, I also want you to go to the IHWE website or, or go on to uh, Facebook and type in IHWE Wrestling or, or just type in uh, it on Google. Uh, there's also a Kickstarter that had just started uh, that they're, they're going to be doing because we're going to be putting together a, a documentary uh, to bring you uh, hopefully sometime uh, next year. Um, it's going to be a great um, project that they're doing. It's going to benefit a lot of wrestlers that, that actually need it. It'll give exposure to a, a, a very under un told um, history of some guys that have deserve to have their legacy told as well. So again, join us for Tales from the Ringside, October 29th at the Crowley Rec Center uh, out in Crowley, Texas, outside of Fort Worth. Uh, and next also is, how about it? The Do For It Halloween Show. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> well, if you don't know, uh, for all Now of, you know. Now you know. The Do For It Halloween Show is an annual event uh, by Do For It Records, which is based out of Denton, Texas. And what it is, is uh, each local band chooses a major label or you know very popular band to play a set as. And this year, the band I'm playing with is The Spectacle, and we're doing a set as System of a Down. The other bands include Shallon, Death Squad as Faith No More. Which is amazing. <laughs> In Memory of Man as Clutch. That's right. I knew you were going to say something about that. My... <laughs> My uh, Maryland's finest uh, is Clutch, and uh, stick around. You may see uh, you may see yours truly get up there, and maybe uh, oh you know. I mean, you know, they have a song called "Who Wants to Rock." Well, you know what? I want to. And uh, no, those guys have been very, very kind in memory of me, and uh, because of you know, I've been a 
you know, a member of the, 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 the Clutch family, you know, for, for a long time and had done a lot of touring with those guys and stuff, whatever they yeah. were, you know, they actually invited me to get up there. I'm no singer, but uh, <laughs> hey, man, I like, you know, I, I got balls and I, and I know how to rock. So cool. let me finish out the bill here to get yeah. the other guys uh, props here. Cruella is playing Green Day. And in parentheses, it says Dookie. So I don't know if that means they're playing all Dookie songs or whatever. But uh, Cruella is Green Day. And then my old band, my good friends in Redefine, are doing Depeche Mode. And let me tell you, every year someone does this little outside the box thing. Like which one, I love. Which one year so cool. someone did Journey. Uh, next year someone did the Cars. And these bands are always the ones that, that nail it and the most fun. I think Redefine is going to be that band this year with the Pesh Mode. Uh, this is the ninth annual show. It is uh, two shows, actually. October 28th in Denton at the Abbey Underground. That's right. And then October 29th, which something else is going on that night. Well, Oh, your thing. <laughs> right. No, at the Curtain Club. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. but but our wrestling show is early, and the Halloween show is late. Okay, so, good, good. So you can do both. Yeah, do both. And, yeah, uh, do for it both. Do both for it, whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, dressing up in costumes is highly encouraged, and uh, if you have the best costume, you'll be singled out and laughed at by the rest of the crowd. So <laughs> no, there, there is like a prize, isn't there? Like a I event. don't think so. Actually. Okay, okay. I haven't heard that. But you, but you should be inspired to dress up anyway. Well, but, the music is the prize. That's right. You get a prize. But so. you know, for me, okay, think about this as a fan. Okay, I, I love Faith No More. Okay, yes, yes, you do. I love Depeche Mode. Okay, I, obviously, I love Clutch. Um, and no disrespect to to to, to, to the the Green Day girls. I'm I'm excited to see them just as much as. And uh, and again, you, and seeing you perform it, um, do the system of a down thing. But it's a neat thing. It's kind of like the idea of cosplay. Yeah. Uh, For metalheads. Well, you say dressing up, right? <laughs> but the idea of instead of just you know doing a cosplay, just dressing up as, as them, doing an entire set. How I was introduced to the Newport Collective was actually because of you know my relationship with the band Ween. Mm -hmm. One year, the House Harkonnen had, uh, who was part of the Newport Collective, uh, performed as Ween. Someone mm -hmm. told me about it. I didn't see the show, but somebody sent me a video of it, and I showed it to the Ween guys, and they you know they loved it. And so I was like, I got to go out there and and check this out next year. And like I think the very next year, I think Shell and Death Squad did all of uh, Weird Al, yeah, complete with costume changes. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was so unbelievably good. They also did Mr. Bungle one year. I know you're a fan of that. Right. I I, I don't I, I did I did get to see that. I no. that must have been beforehand, but how cool is that? So obviously yeah. I mean, you know, them doing they're big fans of, you know, obviously Faith No yeah. More and, and just they're an awesome band. very irrelevant, uh, very, very irreverent stuff. So anyway, so that's gonna be a lot of fun. It's something oh, yeah. that, it's that, fun every year that we haven't been to. Right. Yeah. And again, like I said, you know, you're gonna be performing, yes. I'm gonna be performing, uh, so and a lot of great bands. This is gonna be a great fun Halloween party. So again, check out Duke Fort Records Halloween 2016, two shows, one of the Abbey Under Underground and Denton, and the other yes. one is at the Curtain Club. Curtain Club, yes. Uh October 28th and 29th. So uh okay, all speaking of cosplaying, this week, uh our cosplayer of the week. Because uh, I wanted to mention this, whatever, is also if you are in Dallas or you're coming to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is uh, is Dallas Comic-Con's Fan Day, happening at the Urban Convention Center. We'll be doing Tricky Kid Radio live right there on the main uh, sh uh, showroom floor. Sorry, thank you. And we'll be having cosplayers on. We'll be having celebrity guests. We're going to, speaking of wrestling, we're going to try to grab McFoley and have, have him come on and speak for a little bit. Uh, lots of stars there this, uh, this time. Christian Slater's going to be there. Um, uh, trying to think. Oh, obviously Millie, little please Millie from Stranger Things. Have you seen Stranger Things yet? People are losing their People mind. Are, yeah, I've not seen it. Though. I've seen the first two episodes. It's rad. It kind of reminds yeah. me of kind of like a edgier Goonies, like uh, 
this has got it's set in the 80s it's it's filmed like that the cast has kind of got that got that vibe there's know? too much good tv out there and i don't watch it because i don't want to be stuck at home binge right, watching all the right. time but i want to see the daylight again yeah but this but this but this this is really cool i've heard i've heard so anyway so come on out so anyway i wanted to mention uh, uh Alyssa white or Alyssa fright is her uh cosplay mm-hmm. name uh, she's from Alabama, and uh, I met her uh, a few weeks ago at a, an event um, in Arlington called Retro Palooza, which is an old old gaming uh, convention. It's really really cool. Uh, shout out to the Quarter Lounge Arcade in, in Bedford, Texas. Um, the owner Tim Colson uh, set up some some games. It's been a passion project of his uh, for about almost four years now, and I, I DJed their grand opening party this last uh, this last Saturday. So. You're also, if you're in the Bedford area, uh, or even if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, go to the Quarter Lounge Arcade. What's cool is that it's part of a thing called Retro Plaza. It's just a plaza right around the Brown Trail in Bedford, where you've got a place called the Vintage Freak, which is like the old school furniture and and you know uh, stereo systems, you know vintage stuff. And in the middle, you've got Retro Madness, which is like the old toys and games and stuff. And then next door to that, you have the Quarter Lounge Arcade, which is this unbelievably amazing passion project and you feel it the minute you walk in of all these old school games it's called quarter lounge because the games are only 25 cents like they're supposed to be like they used <laughs> to be so definitely check them out uh and so they were representing uh, large and in charge at retro uh palooza like i said i dj'd their uh, their grand opening party last week but while i was at retro uh palooza i met the most one of these most amazing in this age of youtubers and cosplayers I should really say YouTuber. That's kind of her main thing is uh, is Alyssa Fright. Here's where you can find her. Uh, go on Twitter. Her handle is at L-Y-S-S-A-R-I-E. That's at L-Y-S-S-A-R-I-E. Uh, and you can just go on YouTube and just uh, type that in as well and go to, to Alyssa White. So we want to give a shout out to her. Uh, unbelievably talented. She's awesome. She had the coolest everything. Um, her... Everything that she wore, everything that she was about, her whole vibe was cool. Uh, yeah, so, I'm sorry. The YouTube channel is youtube.com slash unchartedgirl88. YouTube.com slash unchartedgirl88. Okay, so now that we've, we've done all of that and everything else, it is my profound honor to bring to you legendary bass player, from Anthrax, uh, discussing 35 years history of the band. Uh, we talk about everything from Van Halen to Don Rickles. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very, very excited to bring that to you. So without any further ado, uh, we want to welcome Frank Bell over the show. Good to see you again, Frank. It's been a while since yeah, you and I... Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry the way I appear. No, you, you actually... I'm not even hungover. I swear to God. You and, and Joey don't age. Oh, we, we do, believe me. Our bodies are just broken. <laughs> no, but you know what it is? We just got, you, you saw, we just came out of the bus. Right, right. So from last night's show, I brushed my teeth, don't do that. <laughs> but just came out. Um, that's why I'm a little slow, so I apologize. Hey, no worries, man. No worries. And we got some business stuff that we need to fix. And we did fix it. It's good. Oh, good, good. Well, uh, what we're what we're doing, uh, yeah. I think we, you and I talked about this last time I saw you, was that we're gonna we're doing a thirty five years of Anthrax episode. Yeah. And Ooh. so I want to talk about I don't thirty five yeah. years. Yeah. When you say that number, right? Yeah, it is. It, it seems so long, but it, it went for, like, for us. For think sure. about how fast that was. Well, yeah. Life, it just shows you how fast life is, though. Yeah. 
well, you know, I've been I've been along for the ride for most of it. Okay, yeah, and thanks. so for me, the, like the same way, uh, and and one and it seems like it's been a long time, and mm. other times it seems like it was a, a no, flash. It's reflecting. It re, it's reflection now because I think as you get older, you start looking back and stuff. And then when I had my son, when I was ten years, it's ten years old now. And then, really, it really you understood how fast life really is. And yeah. I think the career, because we were touring so much, you don't look. Right. You're living right. for that day, like tonight. Tonight, you look for that show. You don't think about. I don't even look at tomorrow, because you can't. You got to. It's right. all about today. And uh, I, I realized 35 years when you said when you say that, I'm like, really? Yeah, it's been 35 years. Because we're just, <laughs> we're just this band that just keeps going. Like you know well, what I mean? But you know, here's something else. Though. Like, what, speak to what you're saying. Is it? It has been 35 years. Yeah. But you guys still tour like you're like you're in your 20s. Yeah, and believe me, you feel it. <laughs> uh, you know, but I think in this day and age, you have to. Well, I, I understand on a business standpoint, yeah. but but here's what what I mean. Okay, the new album for all kings. Yeah. Okay, now I'm not saying that a band this late in the game is expected to put out mediocre material or whatever, but where is this coming from? For all mm. kings, it's just it's. It may, it, it's one of the strongest, if not the strongest things you guys have ever done. Where's it coming from? Well, thank you for the kind words first. It, uh, because hearing that makes it all worthwhile, to be honest with you. That's but it's why, true, though. And I appreciate that. We all appreciate it. And for us, we're, we're a band, look, at the end of the day, you can't write a record and put it out two, in, in two weeks and put, just put it out. You have sure. to live it. And where is it coming from? You asked the question. And it's really come from the gut. I mean, yeah. we're fans. You can't not be fans. And and think about it. How many shows we do, how much touring we do. We have to live these songs every night, play them every night. You can't phone it. Anthrax has never been a band to phone anything in. You can't just play it. That's for sure. You have to live it, right? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. For so sure. You have the show, all that stuff. And look, at the end of the day, would you want to disappoint yourself? All right. You all right. And that's really important. So with Anthrax, it's, it's really about, we're fans that... Uh, all you want to do is write that best song, the best song that you could possibly do. It, makes, it meets that fire in your belly. It really has to meet that fire. That's why when we write, we, we live with these songs for a while. Right. And really, we dissect them. And it, it, that's why it takes a while. It takes a while to put out an anthrax record, write it, record it, to live with it, make sure it's the right thing we're going out there with. Well, okay, but think about this, though. Okay, mm -hmm. but there's... You can't be a band for 35 years without having some lean years, okay? Yeah. You guys had some lean years. Sure. All bands do. Yes, life. So I thought that you know maybe you know, when worship music came out and you know we talked about this before was that I thought maybe it was the Belladonna like him coming back and you guys just feel re-energized and and that's I'm sure that's an accurate statement. Mm -hmm. But there's there's something else going on here uh, that you guys are are building from. I mean, for all kings, sits right next to my Among the Living. Yeah. Uh, you know. You know, persistence of time record. I mean, it sits right next to it. it Those are great words. You know. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that because that, you see, that's what builds it, though. I'll tell you right there and there. It's about never, never say die, never say that. Come on, that whole thing of why wouldn't we write the best possible record we could? Especially where we're, we're able, thankfully, we're able to do that as writers. Right. I, I, dude, last thing you want to do is phone it in. I'd rather. But where's quit. it coming from? Though? I think we just know who we are. Okay. I think we know who we are. I think collectively, when we get together, writing, we're just bouncing off. Yes, no, you know that that kind of okay. stuff, and really, <clears throat> and wanting to turn the next page and, and just say, wow, this has to really go. This right. has to, you know, and really trying to fucking get to that point of 
impressing ourselves. Really, it has to, you can't disappoint yourself because then other like-minded fans, uh, you know what I mean? It has to meet it, that 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 gut thing, man. That right. whole fans like you. You listen to this music for a reason, right? Sure. Yeah. You listen to this music for a reason, and it has to meet that fire in your belly. That's why we started listening to this music. Sure. So I can never if, like Charlie and I, myself and Scott. We sit down there and start writing. We look at each other. You'll know when a riff works. You'll know when something's. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, right. It's the, I call it the nod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. You know what sure. it's, the, it's sure. the nod. So. Right. You'll know any brothers, and, family members, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and and we've known each other so long right. now. You kind of know what doesn't work. With it. And believe me, it's not always easy. There's there's some arguing that goes on, <laughs> but I think that lends to the aggression of the music. But is there something in place that it, right now that maybe before mm -hmm. wasn't in place that allows that kind of that nod to come quicker? I think Scott, Charlie, and I, I think we're um, open to more ideas with each other. Okay. I think we're a little more open to uh, just trying anything because nothing's off the table. Uh, okay. And was that, is that all, but it hasn't always been the case? No, though. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes there's one way. Right. And I, I think it's smarter to, to listen to everything that comes out. Okay. I, did, I, think, I, I think we all know that. And I think, I think it's maturity, it's growing older, better songwriting, uh, just, and just trying obscurity too. Sometimes an obscure idea might come yeah. in. And just maybe you bounce it off somebody, they'll they'll add something to that that we wow, yeah. the wow factor, and uh, that happens. But that but that's what it has. It's like I'm, again, I'm not expecting mediocrity from from anybody, especially not you guys, like you said, yeah. not But it's literally shocking how good for all kings. Dude, and, and, and I don't and I don't yeah. mean that like I was again expecting anything yeah, mediocre. Yeah. It is shocking how strong it is. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll tell you, for me, I can't uh, even. Matt, I couldn't imagine letting a song, <clears throat> like we wrote a lot of songs for this record. Yeah. And that was the hard part, picking, choosing right, those specific sure. songs. But I can't imagine letting anything that was half done, yeah. like like you said, mediocrity. I can't imagine. I don't think we would just know. And right. even, I'll tell you another guy who says it, Jay Rustin, oh, okay. our producer, yeah. who is the fifth guy, he's the fifth Beatle we call sure. him, but uh, sixth Beatle. But um, <laughs> I just think he knows this pretty fucking well. So what we have going right now with Jay you got to remember, Jay was also from the beginning with us. Right, right, that's right. You know, so we can bang it off of him. Ah, eh, you know, we give him that. Yeah. He says it in a kind way. <laughs> but there's a really good um, starting base just to get the ball rolling with writing. And then again, I, it's digestion of the songs. Right. It really is making sure it's the right song, the right record. And uh, because I, I'd, be, I'd be really honest with you, there's no time for bullshit. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's, that's right. Because you are what you put out. And also, you guys have been around for so long and everything else. Like I said, you know who you are. There's not this, um, you know, trying to kind of like figure that out. Once yeah. once you have that perspective, you know, going, I wanted to kind of go back just a little bit because, you know, you know, we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time. But I wanted to, uh, you know, looking back on 35 years, I wanted to tell you something very briefly. The first time I saw Anthrax, I was... I was into the band for a, for a while, but the first time I got to see it live was the Headbangers Ball Tour wow. uh, here, <laughs> and uh, and so because of course uh, you know like, Headbangers Ball, dude, you've been around. That's so cool. You've been around for so long. Thank yeah, you for that man, that's so cool. Well, when you guys played the Arcadia when I yes. was recording for the I'm the Man, yeah. I was I was too young to 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 get in. How old were you then? You know, uh, I think I was twelve or thirteen. That's so cool. Yeah, think about that. Yeah. Wow. 
and I had I had an older friend that like was like you know because I was all about like you know Motley and, and Rat and all that like cool. like any twelve year old dating run course and still love that stuff mm-hmm. but it was kind of like you know I'm getting older and getting a little more you know started skating and sure. you know and yeah and I've always been as much as I love you know like Slayer and stuff I've always been into the positive stuff mm-hmm. like like one thing where you guys appealed more to me than maybe like a Megadeth or something else was that it just seemed more fun. It seemed more positive. And uh, so I can remember, uh, you know, the whole story, you know, me, my, my older sister dropping me and my 13 year old friend off. And it was the first time we'd ever seen a mosh pit, you know, and all that. Uh, what was, what are some of your memories from, from that tour? That tour was, um, it was a lot of fun because we were all friends. Yeah. And uh, it's Halloween and Exodus, right? Yeah. And, we played these, um, like with, with Exodus specifically, even Gary Holt, we still talk about this stuff. Okay. And that tour, a lot of good times because it was a hang. That's kind of what I was leading into. Yeah. Yeah. So the Gary Holt, you know, is, is a really great friend of mine. Of course. I love him forever. Um, we, we, we played softball games on that. Uh, we had periodic softball games. And <laughs> I, think, I think Exodus won it. We were talking a lot of shit, which is always fun, you know. But it was all, always camaraderie. It was always fun and uh, I... I See, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Exodus anyway. Yeah, so from, from the early days, yeah. you know, one of the uh, heaviest riff, riffing riffing bands in the world. So, um, and Gary's always been one of my friends from back then. So uh, that tour, it it brought us around to a lot of different uh, a lot of different uh, places that 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 hadn't seen us before. With that, and Halloween opened. Did Halloween open that tour? Uh, it, was, it was Exodus, then Halloween. Then Halloween, and, right. and Halloween guys from Germany. Yeah, right. From right. Germany, and we kind of nurtured, we kind of want want them to feel good. You right. Know what I mean, so they had good shows, but I'll tell you, every night that tour was great. That tour was great because they had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Exodus came out, and kicked your ass. Yeah, Halloween sure. did the big singing thing. Yeah, know? and then Anthrax did their thing. So it was I, a great, it was a great yeah. pacing. Yeah. And I think the Dallas it was show, a great line, great pacing. It was, it was that's it was, what it was. I thought it was great, a great pacing tour. Because yeah. it came out and bam, yeah. and then it was kind of melodic, yeah. and then you guys come out and, and had fun. Yeah, yeah, and the, the whole idea was, I thought that was a great package yeah. for the states. Yeah. To see, you know, because that kind of thing hadn't really happened like that. The, that kind of pacing, that's the right word for that. And I didn't know that at the time because I was too young to to, to understand. Like when you talk about like maybe like some of their first tours yeah. and stuff, but I kind of learned that later. I think the Dallas show was actually John Tempesta's first night with Exodus. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm laughing because I got drunk with John the other night. Yeah. And we were talking about these old times and stuff because now he's in the cult. Well, yeah. And, well, if you remember, you and I and John had a drink at the yeah. Emerson Ballroom uh, when the cult played there many a few years ago, yeah, if, yeah. if you recall that. Right. That. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but what, so you saw John recently. I didn't want to cut you off. We're there. talking about this. I mean, you've got to realize I grew up with Johnny. Yeah, right. So high school and all. So we went through our times in life together. <laughs> Remember this? And we talked about this tour. And like for a show, I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my god, it, it it just goes so fast. And we're talking about it all goes back to life. Yeah. You know, and how fast it is now. And you bring up a lot of memories, which is crazy right now because when I go to that time, wow, it's been You're a there. Run. It's been a run, right? It really has been. You know. Well, I haven't and, talked about that tour in so long. Well, it, it, it will always be that will always be mine because anytime, like you know, like I was already very well aware of Anthrax. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew you know the albums previous to State of Euphoria like the back of my hand. But this was the first time where I was anticipating an album release. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So in my mind, State of Euphoria will kind of always be mine, right? Because I get it. just like you know, there's some like 
maybe maybe Empire Strikes Back is better than Return of the Jedi, but Return of the Jedi will always be mine because right. it was I was I totally understand the right to draft. Fan, I understand right. That, totally. Uh, okay, so a couple other things I wanted to talk about was mm-hmm. talking about the old days. You guys just did uh, a couple of nights at St. Vitus yeah. in Brooklyn for for Gildas, which is this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah, we um, we felt really strongly about that. They asked us. Uh, along with a, a lot of other bands to do nights there. And right. um, so we had an opening, which was great, uh, on a Friday night, which is the perfect opportunity. Instead of having a, a night off, why not pay back and, yeah. and go go to a great cause? And because I live in New York, right. it was a it was a no-brainer for me. So I see it. And just so you know, um, uh, and personally, with me and Charlie, the drummer in our band, uh, we're related. And his mom recently, a few years ago, passed from cancer. Right, so right. and we see how much it affects the family, and yeah. Gilda's house is all about that. Yeah. So it, anything that could help relieve anybody's pain, yeah. anybody's pain at sure, any time, yeah. it's a great cause. And people, should, if you don't, if if they're listening to you right now, please get into the Gilda's house thing because it's a great organization. And they really care. So what we did, so we did that one night. So the next day we had an early show in Connecticut. It was a festival thing. Right. So our our manager said. Um, would you guys like to do another night? Out of the blue, right? And it came because what are we doing so early? What are we doing for in the right. rest of the time? He goes, well, we're close enough to New York City. Why don't we just put the show on sale tonight? And it, it's exactly what happened. We put it on. Uh, he said it was a midnight show, I think, or something like right. that. Special midnight show for the same cause. For sure. Uh, uh, and put it on sale. It sold out like that. Great. You know, yeah. which is great and all that. It was just another fun, fun night. But I tell you. It was a lot of it was a lot of uh, I didn't get any sleep that day because I went home, hung out with my son. Well, yeah. So, it, but it was a great cause. Well, thank God you were home because you did like three shows in like in like in like eighteen hours. Yeah, we did, we did. I think it was three, three, eighteen or twenty-four. But it was, I know somebody said it's four hours and thirty-six hours. Four shows in thirty-six hours. That's like in your twenties. I don't yeah. think your twenties could do well, that. That was for a good cause. I don't know if you right. want to keep doing that. You know, I, I would do right. it for any charity, for every charity. Sure. But if it was just regular shows. I think we would take that out, and you know, but for, because it was for a charity as, as strong as that, you do it. You know, but it, but it also gave gave you a chance because you are home to do something not only for a good cause, but to switch up the set list, do something totally. special, bring some old songs back too that people have been asking about. And was that probably the smallest show you guys have done in at least in Brooklyn since the Lamore days? I can't remember. Yeah, because Lamore's was big. Yeah, Lamore's was a big show, a big place. But um, that was that was probably one of the smallest shows we've ever played. But I'll tell you though. That was so much fun because it was completely a curveball. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You just stand. I mean, the people are right in like you, how I close you want to be. So yeah, there's no barricade. Right. So people are very respectful, and I love that about them. Uh, and singing every word, you could literally sing to the person and have. See, my thing is with shows is uh, is getting an energy together. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan playing bass, right? These songs. Well, you're I, famous I'm, for 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 being so. Like there's a fan up there on yeah, playing bass. Yeah, that's that's all. You're I the most engaging, thank, most thank you, notoriously engaging, thank friendly you. faces on on any stage in any genre. Yeah, you know that. You. No, I just want to have fun. I appreciate yeah. the kind words, but um, I just want to relate. I yeah. want to connect with right. you, the, the fan, to get this energy together. Because that's why I did it in the yeah. beginning when I went to shows. When I saw Kiss on stage, I wanted that one energy with with Gene, Paul, all that Ace, and I was like. And I had that, and that energy was bigger than all of us. You well, know sure, I mean? so, sure. So I don't consider people watching the band. I think we make one energy together, the fan and the, and the band, 
making this energy that you can't. It's a drug. Right, right. It's a drug that we all go for. Right. It's, it's a legal drug that is the best high that any of us are ever going to get. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. Like I said, obviously, Van Halen is, is, the best is, shirt in the world, right? is yeah. my thing. It's awesome. So David Lee Roth was my first concert, the Eat em and Smile Tour. Yeah. And as cliche as it sounds, it people are going to go, I saw that first show and I knew it was, like, I knew, like you're saying, after feeling that, that energy and him up there smiling and doing his thing. But I get the same energy when I see an anthrax Thank show, you. and it's largely because of your smiling face uh, up that's there, a great man. Compliment. Thank you so much you know? to be with David Lee Roth anywhere because I think he's one of the best frontmen of all time. No question. So, you know, no question. Freddie Mercury, David Lee oh, Roth, Mercury. and Iggy Pop. They're the holy, oh, the holy, it's a holy trinity right you're there. You're a school man. Yeah. I appreciate. It. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very impressed with that. But I tell you, with with, with Roth, I tell you, a really quick story. Yeah, I love the uh, I remember it was 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 it David Down? I don't know. I saw him at the garden. What year was it? Was it was it 83, 84? What was it? it was well, 1984. Okay, so so it, it would have been it would have been 84. It was 80. Okay, so I remember being a fan, uh, waiting outside. I bought a ticket for Van Halen, and then across the street, man, I heard Van Halen was uh, staying there. So we we waited outside. So you tell. See, as a fan, because I'm a fan. Right. So I we waited outside. With my friends were just watching, and this is a true story. David Lee Roth came out, right? With security, uh, there were people everywhere, fans everywhere. We came walking out. He walked across the street to the garden. But here's what happened: is if people he had security, what I didn't know, I kept seeing uh, people that you know, people kept going down like this. And I saw he had two small people, two small people right. as security guards pushing people out of the right. way. And I, <laughs> and I keep seeing people go. Th- and I said, uh, why are they going down like that? Uh, I didn't understand why they were moving the way they were because the people were lower. The, the people he hired, the security people, right. were smaller people. Yeah. And he just moved them out of the way. It was it was pretty great. It was so David Lee Roth. It was so the spectacle of Roth. The spectacle. Yeah. He literally walked to the garden. I think that was such a cool pre-show. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know he what I mean? walked to the garden with two little people and his hair to garden. I mean, Dude, is there anything cool about that? That's so cool. I, know. I mean, you know okay. what I mean? And let me tell you something. Those, those little security guards were, so, were seriously awesome. Oh, they, yeah. They were really on it, man. They were great. You know, just move. They were just like move out of the way, and they were strong guys too. Man. And he carried those guys with him up until almost till the early nineties. Like it was he, awesome. He was like, like I saw all the tours of the eighties yeah. that he did and everything else. Uh, a quick shot. If you haven't seen it already, a friend of mine, my friend Greg Renoff from Tulsa, mm. he's a professor, and he wrote, in my opinion, and I'm a Van Halen, you know, uh, historian, mm-hmm. uh, unofficial. Uh, it's cool. Is, is he he wrote a book that came out last year. Uh, I brought him on the show to talk about it and everything else. Is a book called Van Halen Rising, and basically what it is, it's the it's before they got signed. It's everything from the beginning of the band until they got signed. Is it available? Now? It is. Okay. If you haven't seen it, it is a it is it is like textbook. So it's factual. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. He worked on it for about six years. Good he interviewed him. literally every backyard party host. Oh. I mean, it's insane. It, there is nothing like it because it's so weird how a band like Van Halen is so big, how their history is just shrouded yeah. and just yeah. this. And he pulls the curtain back, yeah. man, and it's 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 all the way up until when the first album comes out. So you get all those seventy summer of seventy two. It, it's really good. A, again, a, a check band, it out. A party band like Van Halen with the good, they have the goods. You yeah. know what I mean? That right. Had, the whole thing like nobody else. That's what I'm saying. So even Michael Anthony people. Most, one of the most underrated bass players with a great voice, Michael Anthony, in my book. Right. It's like, people don't, you know, people know, but they don't know how talented that guy, that man really well, is. Well, because cause he had to overcome these two giant, yeah. you know, personalities. Because right, he was third. He was third in line. Right? And with Alex, you got to remember Alex, too. Well, yeah. So how do you, 
Yeah, it's how's, how's it go? It's Dave, Eddie, Eddie's brother, and other guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's well put. I know, right? That's well put. But man. you know what? Well, At the same time, you know, like I said, you know, you've got those high backing vocal harmonies. I yeah. mean, would you say that Michael Anthony would obviously be totally an inspiration? You know what? Because Michael Anthony, that's a great point you bring up because Michael Anthony was a big inspiration that it can be done. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. Because Roth had that voice, right? Mm-hmm. He had the character thing Price going. And a great voice. I love, I love Roth's voice. Me too. But Michael Anthony made the blend. Yeah. The blend of those harmonies. And Eddie, let's remember Eddie too on the other side doing the middle ones. No, too. he's fantastic. So, There's so, really nothing he couldn't do. Yeah, and, you know? and plus Michael was a bass player and made, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it right. all lent itself to me. So that's a great point. I wanted to ask you this too. And, uh, I've asked a lot of people this. I'm also uh, a massive Prince fan, and I, of course, we know we lost him this year. And I, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to to include this, but here's here's a funny little thing. Yeah. One of my favorite Prince songs of all time is a, is a from an obscure album, the song called Room 319. So whenever mm-hmm. I was coming up here, and I was thinking, should I add that? And then when Will told me the the hotel room number we're doing the yeah, interview in is Room 319, I was like, wow. Okay, so I was just going to ask yeah. you just just very briefly what what. What, Prince, what, what, what kind of impact did that have on you when you heard about it? When I heard about it, number one, of course, one of the most talented people of every, musically on this earth. That's the truth. I've always felt that. Too. Uh, we got a tour of his studio uh, when I was playing with the band Helmet. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, a friend of ours was working with him and gave us a tour of his studio. Uh, he wasn't there at the day, that day, but I went in his studio where he created and you talk about a vibe, dude. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, I felt I felt very privileged. For sure. Because this is the studio that he. I saw. Look, I'll, I'll be really honest with you. This is where he stood, and there were. I. I it's like a horseshoe of uh, guitar pedals. And this is what I'm vividly, vividly right. remembering. There's a horseshoe of guitar pedals, that he. They were all connected, and he would just. And I, this is what he told me. Um, this is what the, the, the gentleman told me that I worked with him. He would use each one of them. On everything, just create the, the sound he heard in his head, and there were, I'm telling you, a plethora of amps everywhere, different name brands, old amps, new amps. There was just he knew weird. how to get that sound where his brain went, and all he needed was the access. To and it. he had it, he had it where he lived. You know what? I understand now. Yeah. You know, and I saw a great interview with him, um, and he said, "Why do you live in Minnesota? Because not a lot of people like the cold." Yeah, it, it, it's so cold it keeps the bad people out. That's a, great, that's a great quote. That's yeah. exactly what he said. Yeah. I missed yeah. that. Great, great. You quoted it right. Yeah. I get it because when you went in there, yeah. I felt magic. I, I felt what he was doing. Do you know what I mean? Because it was so comfortable. Yeah. It was comfortable. It was home. And it's like, imagine this all the time, you know, and with his brain, with his talent. Wow. It, it was unlimited because, I mean, he's there. He has access to it. He has, you know, when you have the ability yeah. and then you have the time and you have the access. Yeah. Like it's, it's, awesome. it's unlimited. But that, you, know? you talk about another great talent way too early. Because how much, look, 2016, let's face it, it's been a really bad year for deaths, right? Wow. I mean, wow. we lost wow. a lot of great, great artists. Five, Bowie, Prince. You know, we lost Lemmy in December, you know. Yeah, with, uh, Glenn Fry. Right, yeah, I mean, Glenn Fry, yeah. I mean, all these great wow. songwriters, yeah. songwriters, man. Yeah. And this is, and you look at what, look, I'm not making fun of the music scene now, but we all know what's going on, yeah. you know, yeah, sure. uh, in pop and all that well, stuff. Yeah. Not a good, not a lot of people really try to write songs right, in, right. in the pop culture. Um, well, they're, they're artists making money, not music. It appears so. Right that's now. my point. Yeah. And that people, I, I want the goods. I want, I want to dig in. Yeah. People aren't doing that enough. And okay, I hope I have hope, right? 
Sure, I, sure. I want that because I love music. Music is good to me. It's my way out of everything. Right. You know, as it's a, it's a release for all of us. Yeah. So I have hope, but uh, just another great artist, and that kind of bums me because I want somebody. Who else? Then we have to get to the next guy. Right. You know, right. and then you start worrying. Yeah. Are all of them going to go? And, and then other thing, we go about life again, right? We're going right back to life. That's right. How fast life is. Did we enjoy him enough? Did we, oh, right? I think about that too. Do you think about that? Well, I mean, I I, I was kind of obsessive and, and like I said, I, I lived in Brooklyn for 10 years mm -hmm. and, and so he was in New York quite a bit and I would, so I tried to see him every time. Like when he did the 21 nights in LA, yeah, yeah. I went the first five. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Good, and, and one of the reasons, one of the reasons why was I was only going to go to the, to the first two nights, mm -hmm. but apparently there was this weird thing where, not that he wasn't selling it out, but it was like, I guess people were like, well, I've got time. He's doing 21 nights and he didn't want the place to be empty. So there was this kind of, this kind of thing where I got tipped off that if you went to the window, you could get tickets for $20. Yeah, they were like right here. I mean, I had, I literally had bought tickets for, let's say, I see a hundred dollars. Right, right. But the twenty dollars tickets were better than the ones I, I literally didn't even do use them. So I was like, so I did that every night while I was in L.A. until I didn't know that. Well, well, here's here's the funny thing was wow. was this is what this is a great segue was that I did those three show the first three because he did he would do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It, it wasn't continuous. Right. The shows were like. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, sometimes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Right. So I did, I got there early because the reason why I was in LA, because I was coming to the big four show <laughs> Coachella to, to cover that, you see. Right. So the so the day before you guys played, actually the first three days before you guys played Coachella, wow. I saw Prince three nights in a row. I didn't even know and, that. At, at the forum. That was the first that was the first weekend. And wow. and so speaking of the the big four shows, I was I was at both of them in America. Like I said, I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. Uh, and, you know, one of my greatest memories, just not only in music, but of course, you know, think about Anthrax, was that uh, I got to see, I was standing side stage when you guys were playing that day at Yankee Stadium. And I'm pretty sure I was near some family members because there was some very emotional people uh, around us. And we, we, were, we were emotional too because we, we knew what that meant. We knew what this meant for you guys. We were so proud and so proud to be a part of it. It's yeah. Yankee Stadium. It's Anthrax. It's and the, the mayor declaring yeah. it Anthrax Day. Tell me, you know, you probably get to ask this a lot, but and we talked that day too, but yeah. I, I wanted to, I, I'm sure you might remember that. I remember when you guys were putting on the, the pinstripes and I was just like, man, what? This is... Yeah, they're still at the Hard Rock. Yeah. They actually have a big, uh, a big uh, display of Anthrax at, at the Hard Rock at Yankee I've seen Stadium, it, yeah. which is pretty, for me as a Yankee fan, it's yeah. pretty cool, but uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I think that day, if there's, you know, and I tell, I tell this a quick story. Um, well, uh, I, um, I tell there's two great times. There's two great times in my life, my favorite times on stage. There's two of them. I'll tell you this. And not a lot of people know about the second one, but I, I like to say it because it is one of my favorite times out of the two on the stage. That was the Yankee Stadium, which is a big deal. Right. Uh, I'm a Bronx boy, growing up 10 minutes as a Yankee fan right. from the stadium. So put that all in your head and make and live that for yourself. And I'm very fortunate, and I know how lucky I am, and I thank God for it every day. It was the last show my grandmother ever saw, so she was wow, there at the show. That's wonderful. And I'm glad she saw that show. Uh, so that's very special to me. Um, so that's that show. Uh, the second one is an unknown show. There are not a lot of people. I've maybe said to a few people. Uh, 
I was I brought my wife uh, for a night out uh, in Long Island. We went to see Don Rickles. Okay. One of my favorite comedians. I know this is off off the road. Here. No, I love yeah. it. I love so it. This is obscure, but Don Rickles is one of my all time favorite comedians, and uh, he's sarcastic as I am, and as I always try to be, uh, and have fun, to have fun, not fun hurt, not hurting right. people. Right. Have fun with it. He's my old, one of my all probably my all time favorite. So we had this opportunity to have great seats to go see Don Rickles at this place in Long Island. He had this place in the round. He played. Uh, it's in Long Island. What's the name of the place? I'm about to uh, Westbury. Oh, Westbury. Okay. Yeah, Westbury sure. Music sure. So we had great seats. I had second row. I'll describe it to you. So Regis Philbin opened up. Great. They're great friends. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a friend, a fan of his. Blah blah blah. Laugh a lot, and he's great. You know, the singing thing, all that stuff. So it was a great night out, having good times. So my cousins had come with me, but they had different seats away. So I, we'll meet up later. So we're sitting there, and I said, man, "This is close. Oh man!" And you know, and this one guy next to my wife and I, he says, "Man." I hope he doesn't pick on me. You know, he's worried about him picking him out. I said, nah, he doesn't do that stuff. Don't worry. Right. You know, just as I'll set up stuff. No way. So this is what happened. So he's doing, Don Rickles comes on, this whole thing starts off killing it. He's just nailing things. Right. He's boom, we're laughing. I'm cackling. I stuff <laughs> that I hadn't heard before. I'm cackling, like laughing loud. So I'm about, I swear, I think I'm about to the end where that couch is to where he is. I'm cackling. And he, and he heard me. He looks at me and he, he catches my eye. And I put my I put my head down real quick because he caught my eye. I, I'm like, oh man, I think he's. I saw you heard me cackling. I was laughing loud because my <laughs> wife my wife was on my head like she's being because I was cackling. So long story short, the next ten minutes into the next uh, the next part of the, the the segment he's doing the segment and he, he goes now so um, you and he looks at me. Dude, he looks straight in my eyes and this is Don Rickles looking straight in my eyes. He goes you. I put my head down. He goes, you! And he yells at me again. So I look up. He goes, yeah, you! Get up here! Oh, my God. Dude, oh my he said, God. get up here. I'm trembling. Trembling. Oh, my God. You talk about a guy. I think I'm an experienced guy on stage at this point in my life. <laughs> I was so scared to get on that stage. That is so so here's what happened. I get, he demanded, get up here. I said, me? Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. Get up here now. He's just yelling, abusing he's, me. He's Don Rickles, right? Oh, he's Don Rickles, right? So there's a seat open in front of me. I climb over the seat onto the stage. So you have to understand, there's a seat here. The stage is right here. I grab the stage. I trip over the, the seat oh onto the stage. Oh Big roar of laugh. You know, the whole thing. Your I, first laugh. Oh, yeah, my first laugh. So people, he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Get up here. He just completely. <laughs> so he proceeded. After I got my footing, I walked up to him. And um, he, he says, what's your name? He's interviewing me now. He said, what's your name? Frank. Bello, oh, Goomba, you know, goes on to the whole time. Sure. Think, oh, everything, he's going to like, the mafia and all that stuff, he's talking. So he goes, what do you do for a living? He goes, I'm a musician. Of course, this I didn't expect this to happen, but two kids from the audience says, he's an anthrax. Oh, so, he, I was going to say a couple kids yeah. recognized you. I'm like, oh, my God, please don't go off on that. And I, I said, thank God he just passed that by. I don't know if he heard it or something. Or thank God, I was really worried. So he goes, what's your dad, uh, what's, your, what's your father do? My father abandoned you. <laughs> I have no idea what he did. She goes, um, I go, I, I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? He's just completely going off on me. So he goes, he just kept going. So then he, he wanted me to do this skit for him. A World War II German, uh, Japanese soldier. Okay. That's a, it's me, a routine of his. It's right. a routine of his. He right. wants me to play one of the soldiers. Okay. Uh, let me tell you something, man. I was so nervous with him because he played the commander. And, and he picked another guy for, up from the audience. And he just... 
pretty much abused us. He was just like, he kept dropping his, he kept dropping his microphone. He kept pick it up. He just kept, dude, it was, it was 10 minutes, but it was the most glorious time, 10 minutes ever. That is fantastic. So that is two, is two times in my life. Yankee Stadium. And Don Rickles. And Don Rickles. <laughs> it was the best. Well, Frankie, thank you so much. Again, 35 years of Anthrax. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, tonight with uh, Slayer and, and Death, Death Angel Death, with the Gas Death Monkey Angel. in Dallas. So psyched because I think we haven't been here in a while. And number two, uh, this, they've always brought it here. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. So we'll, uh, we'll a few hours from now. So yeah. it's a good tour. It's going to be a good tour. Well, good Frankie, tour. thank you again so much. Thank you for your Man. knowledge. Thank you, sir. It's, it's always a pleasure. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure doing an interview with people that actually care. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you, Frankie. I, it means a lot for me to hear you say that. Yeah, after all, it's, it's, it's the truth. I wouldn't say it. Of course. Of course. I, I know you. that. But you know, after all the years that you and I have talked yeah. and stuff, I really appreciate that. It's a great thing. Thank you. Thank you, Frankie. Appreciate Take it. Take care, buddy. All right. I never realized it before, but yeah, I could totally see Michael Anthony being an influence on him. I know. I, I mean, like, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a massive, anyone who listens to the show knows I'm a massive Van Halen fan. And we were talking, obviously, about Van Halen, uh, as you heard in the interview. Uh, I wanted to thank Frankie for, for, you know, we had such a good time that day. And it was yeah. such, such, a, such a, a wonderful afternoon. Yeah, it sounds like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, you're invited. Um, anyway, uh, but, but seriously, but you wouldn't equate it, but now that you think about it, well, yeah. yeah, you know, he's up there kind of, you know, smiling and having a good time and he's got the high voice and, uh, and, uh, you know, the background vocals and everything else and the energy and everything else. I mean, it's, you, you could totally see it, but I never, I never put it together before. Well, he's totally, he's totally rhythm. He's not flashy. I mean, he's a little flashier than Michael Anthony, but not in a distasteful sense. Right? I mean, he's well, not showing off. Well, there's never been a Fred Bello bass solo. There hasn't been a Michael Anthony solo, which was, was, Always Which is dreadful. Yeah, I was say, yeah. <laughs> like, that was uh, getting a beer and going to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, like, unfortunately, <laughs> and, and shout out to Michael Anthony. We love you very much. But, uh, but, but stop uh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's always been fun. That's too funny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there was something, as you heard in the interview, um, uh, that I talk about, is that uh, is there's one thing that I, I talked about in the interview that I, I wasn't sure I was going to ask about. Um, yeah. And what that was, was that the, I was sitting there, you know, thinking about it. Cause you know, like how right now people are at, like, even like Lars Ulrich, I think was asked by like Blabbermouth, like, Hey, where were you when you heard about Prince mm -hmm. passing and, and, you know, did it have any, any impact on you personally? And, and so even, you know, guys, you know, the unlikely, you know, suspects or, or people you would think. And so not that I wanted to follow that trait, but I just, you know, I've been fr friendly with Frankie for a very long time, and 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 he knows that I'm a massive Prince fan, and and uh, and for the, you out there to listen, you guys know that we did a you know obviously a four episode arc, you were part of that mm -hmm. as well, and I thank you for that. But here was the funny thing. So he texts me, and you know to come to uh, the hotel, and he goes, "Hey man, I'm in room 319." <laughs> and to any Prince fan, you should immediately go. Gold experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Would think. And I love that song. Yeah, I do too. I and do. I go, 319, as I was sitting there like kind of like doodling some things I wanted to ask. And I was like scratching it out. And I was like, I don't believe in like fate and stuff. But I was like, this is this is a sign. Like I should probably <laughs> ask this question. 
And he, you heard in the interview, he was so glad that I did, you know, and as you saw that we had a, you know, a great conversation about Prince and, and, um, and so, uh, that was just kind of a neat coincidence that mm-hmm. I had to go to room 319 at the <laughs> hotel room as I was scratching out the Prince question. Right. So, so I was, I was, I was happy to be able to do that. And again, and once again, thank you so much to, 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 to Frank Bellow and, and all the guys in Anthrax for, um, you know, for 35 years of just awesomeness and yeah. participating with this and being on board with it. Uh, so now what I wanted to talk about was to kind of move it up a little bit is after uh, State of Euphoria, which, which has been kind of the, the theme of all of this, um, was, you know, they did something else revolutionary. Now, of course, Run DMC a few years prior with, uh, obviously, your guys uh, Aerosmith. <laughs> yeah, my old friends in Aerosmith. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, and uh, is, uh, you know, they did that, that collaboration. Uh, but they did something completely and totally unique that, that its relevance still maintains. And its effects still, basically, still are, are felt with the collaboration with Public Enemy mm-hmm. uh, on on Public Enemy's song "Bring the Noise," because uh, this wasn't the this this was you know this was something that was so powerful and so unique. And even though Aerosmith and Run DMC had already had set the precedent, it still seemed completely new right. at, at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of legendary questions as far as like, you know, uh, Priest or Maiden, you want Zeppelin or Sabbath, you know, right. one of them is always going to be, so Anthrax and PE or Aerosmith and Run DMC. Right. And as much as obviously, you know, I love Aerosmith, my favorite band, and I love Run DMC, I think Public Enemy and Anthrax took it up a notch. Just, it's it's a better song. It's a better collaboration. That little high-pitched squeal thing, like, is just perfect. Yeah, you know, it, seems, awesome. it seems to fit, Yeah, you know. Uh, and again, like I said, you know, the Beatles and the Stones uh, of hip-hop, of course, would be, you know, the Beatles would be Run DMC and obviously Public Enemy would be the Stones. Yeah. You know, kind of had it more of a dangerous kind of edge anyway to kind of fit more of the hard yeah. thing that, that they did. Well, it's interesting, too, is, like, that was the last thing you heard from them before Joey left the band and then the new era started. So, like, they went on a really high note. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's why it seemed to be so so shocking because we also have to remind people what year this was because yeah. that came out in like the Public Enemy collaboration came out the same year as Nirvana's Nevermind and Pearl Jam's Ten and yeah. all that and and you know so by 1993 when they came out with Sound of White noise. noise they had a new singer and I really think that's something else that that I, I'm not that not that I think that that Scotty and specifically or, or Charlie and them regret their time with John Bush. Mm-hmm. I think that talking about the apology earlier, I think some of that has to do with the fact that they do realize that they were giving into something where in by 1993, Joey Belladonna's voice to them sounded dated. Mm-hmm. And in order to compete, uh, you know, it was no longer about the skating guys having a good time. This was now a business that they wanted to, to survive at. And in their mind, and Joey, as nice as he is, and is such a, a a great dude, and the the and, you know it's like David Lee Roth is the only singer for for Van Halen. Mm-hmm. I love John Bush, but Joey Belladonna, in my opinion, not because John Bush doesn't have a great voice or whatever. It's just or and, and I'm not it's not rooted in in, in nostalgia either. I just right. think he's the perfect singer for Anthrax. But I uh, I I think that he they realized that they were giving into something. Yeah. They instead of being originators, instead of being the head of the pack, instead of being these kind of pioneers with something, 
they were now having to compromise something. Yeah. And 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 I think I think also also was a matter of taste. At that point, you know, instead of Pantera coming to their shows, now they were going, you know, now now and even later on they were even were opening for Pantera, you know, they were they were no longer on the top of the heap. And so I think that that's, you know, and Scott Ian is a, you know, he's a, he's gonna, he's gonna win. He's gonna survive. Mm-hmm. He's gonna, you know, those guys were gonna, so I think it was kind of shrewd there, but, but, you know, it could have gone the Sammy Hagar route and yeah. it didn't. It, it <laughs> went the John Bush route. What do you remember about when Sound of White Noise came out? I didn't like it. <laughs> but, be, but the first song I heard was only. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Just because it wasn't Joy Bell on? That was a big part of it. But the first song I heard was only. And even though I like it now, it, they changed their sound so much. You know, it was still metal. Or hard rock, even if you want to call that, it wasn't thrash anymore. So coming off of sound of oh, not sound of noise, um, persistence of time wow. and Attack of Killer Bees, it's a different band. Now, granted, it wasn't the black album to load transition to Metallica fold. You know, it was still right. something good. Like I said, I, I came around to it. It took me a little while though. Yeah, it was just different. But looking back on it now, and actually hearing you say what you just said, I mean, like if they had kept Joey on, would they be where they are now? Probably not. You know, it might have sunk them. Well, again, really it, it's the argument that you know that Lars Rock has said for years. Like, man, if we, you know, as much as when I look back, and even at the time, I wasn't very happy about you know when they came out with the Black Album and all that, yeah. all that. But that's not that's not business minded. That, that's no. that's that's a that's a consumer's, not a a the person that actually is the creator right. aspect. If they had made Master of Puppets Part Two, they would be playing Gas Monkey Live like <laughs> like seriously. Yeah, no, I love it. Now, I do want to. I do want to clarify. I do like that John Bush years. I do like yeah. Sound of White Noise. It took me a second, but I did right. get into it once I heard only in the context of the rest of the album. Right. That's when it really started to be like, okay, this is cool. Like Potter's Field's awesome. Room yeah. for one more. Um, but I, they would have had. They would have had some lean years, no matter who sang for the band. True. Yeah. Okay. I, I even if Belladonna was in the band, uh, you know, because keep in mind they were still on the headlining tour that year, like White Zombie and, mm-hmm. and Quicksand opened that tour. Um, but by the time we got to Stomp 442 and 19, was it 96, was it? Um, 442 is 95, 96, somewhere in there. Right, now. okay. I, I think that no matter who sang for the band, it, yeah. it, it's kind of like kind of like what we talked about with the Motley Crue uh, thing, is just that, yeah, everybody wanted uh, Vince Neil, and they didn't want this this John Karabi guy. Or anyone else for that matter. But I don't <laughs> I don't think, I think even if Vince Neil was in the band, no. I, think that, I, th- I don't think that anybody wanted any because even when he came back to the band in 97 mm-hmm. i don't think that people wanted anything to do with a motley or an anthrax as much as no. do you understand okay Definitely. and so uh, that's why those those lean years would have happened but i think that where they, they seem so convoluted in, in, in a sense is because it was you ever like watch a show and then suddenly the characters stop, stop acting like like them I and i don't mean growth or change uh, like I like I don't like it. Mm-hmm. What I mean is, is like suddenly what came what was organically them became somehow not compromised, but like we have to sound grungier or yeah. we have to sound we have to do this to be relevant. And from a business standpoint, I totally get that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they definitely sound dirtier. Like yeah, the sound is way grittier. Yes, but it was but it was never it was never a a it was never an organic process, right. even though they put out some great, great stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Stomp 442 is, and that's the, the second most disliked album by that band, <laughs> by Anthrax. 
I love that album. Like Fueled is still on my okay, iPod. Okay, anybody it. that tells you they don't like that album probably hasn't heard it because well, Scott it, Ian said it, and uh, well, <laughs> I think he's heard it once or well, twice. Well, again, I think it's because he equates that time where yeah, the band yeah. almost ended. Yeah, and okay? I, I, I get that. I do. You know, but my, the album's amazing. You know, I, I remember the '80s as you know this magical time. My mother remembers the '80s as this time where, where you know she could barely feed us. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So to her, when I mention some year, you see how that that's the difference. That's the difference of it. No, I, I get it. You know? I totally do. But musically speaking, it's a great heavy album. And it was it. some some great great stuff, you know. And so, and you know, one thing that that remained during those years, which has always been a stable. You mentioned Antisocial earlier, which is kind of like what Metallica did in the early '80s, or I should say specifically, uh, almost exclusively, Lars Ulrich was him being European. Uh, and they were whenever they were you know do covers and stuff, they would introduce you to a lot of bands that you otherwise would never been exposed to. Oh right? yeah, yeah, sure. You know, um, and Anthrax was really great about that. Like I said, Antisocial was actually a cover of a, of a French band called Trust. Right. Okay. So one thing that was so cool that I thought in the '90s was that remained. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were still doing you know wacky covers from everything from the Police to DRI to you know, the Sex Pistols, uh, and even to show their diversity. Now, again, you know, we could say that since it was the 90s and <laughs> were they trying to be an alternative band instead of, you know, covering obscure, uh, you know, prog rock bands, uh, European prog rock bands, suddenly they were covering, you know, Radiohead. And Scott Ian was wearing a Public Enemy t-shirt in 1987. I, this stuff doesn't surprise me. Uh, so, right, yeah. right. Well, I'll say, but by, by 97, he, instead of, you know, collaborating with Public Enemy and, you know, and, you know, what What were some of the covers back then that were so cool? Um, uh, you know, like, again, like Antisocial. Yeah. And uh, now by 97, they're doing Radiohead and uh, and Smith's covers. Yeah. What I meant is, like, they, they've always had a wide range of lights, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, you know, some people kind of go, is that pandering? Or, yeah. or are they really trying to be, like, more alternative during the alternative age? But if you hear the song, that will answer that question for you. You want to hear something funny? Yes. I got a text two weeks ago from my friend Chris, who you know, yeah. guitar player redefined, and he said, "I just now found out that got the time as a cover." Oh, Joe Jackson. Yeah, this is two weeks ago. Yeah. This is October 11, 2016. Two weeks before this, I got this text. <laughs> he found out what 25 years later. <laughs> How long has it been? <laughs> yeah, about 25 years I guess ago. It would be. Yeah. But he thought it was an original this entire time. <laughs> right. Okay. But that's how good they do covers. It's just like Metallica making it their own. That's right. Yeah. And but not afraid. Like I said, you don't you don't meet bands or see bands that have do that cover trust and the Sex Pistols and cover Joe Jackson and fearlessly, and, yeah. fearlessly and and done well, yeah, perfectly. Oh, saying at the time is done well is a vast understatement. Totally, <laughs> definitely. But one of but, their but, but it's now their song. It's just yeah. like just like how those Diamond Head songs, like Am I Evil and and. Uh, <clears throat> And some of the other ones are they're Metallica songs now. They they, oh, yeah. they belong to them. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to play one for you uh, because if everyone kind of goes, well, "Was it pandering?" If you hear this, you'll know that it is not pandering. So, and also it's just kind of fun. So this is during the John Bush years. This is Anthrax covering the Smiths' "London," one of the most. And they didn't pick like you know some little throwaway track. They, they picked a a very yeah. you know. We have a band from the UK and they have a song called London, you know its statement. So <laughs> this is Anthrax covering the Smiths London.
okay, again, so that was, I mean, that's nuts, right? Anthrax doing the Smiths, <laughs> yeah. but it's an Anthrax song. Yeah, that's done me. well. <laughs> so now that brings us now uh, to, again, maybe, because by the time, you know, as much as I love John Bush and everything else, regardless if it was the alternative thing or, or, or whatever, it really ran its course. Mm-hmm. I think it ran its course as them as people. I think it ran its course. Um, I think that 2003, they had put out they had put out the, uh, the last one with him called We've Come For You, right. and then it was, after that, it was just a series of contract obligation stuff. They even tried to re-record some old Joey Belladonna stuff with John Bush just to satisfy, to get out of their contract. It was live album, greatest hits thing. You know, Clearly, that relationship had ended, mm-hmm. okay? Musically, I think emotionally, I think that commercially, I think, I think that they were done. So what do you do? You go to, you know, you either get a, another singer or you go to the well. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, they went to the well. And actually, and it was something that also very much mirrors the Van Halen thing. When, remember when Van Halen in 1996, of course, famously had come out with the greatest hits record. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought David Lee Roth back just to record two songs. And, you know, he kind of thought he was back in the band. Right. Right. And only to only to get right, only to be like, no, uh, you know, which, which Psych. yeah, <laughs> right, right, which sucks. Yeah, not even, it was quite as dysfunctional as that, but they did something in 2005 where they actually brought Joey Belladonna and Dan Spitz, right, who had been out of the band uh, since since the Stop 442 record yeah. to do a tour. Now I did not see that tour. Did you see that tour? The 2005 reunion? Yeah. No. no. Yeah, I don't think it came because I was. On tour a lot back then, and but I don't think it ever came to Texas. I think it, uh, you know. Yeah, but, I, I don't know if it did or not. I did. Yeah, no, you know what? It probably didn't because if it did, I would have seen it for sure. Right. So I'm sure it didn't. But it was one of those things where it was kind of like if it had worked, it would have kept going. Right. But the fact is, is that they weren't playing in front of any bigger crowds, which was very strange because this wasn't right. 1995. By this time, uh, the nostalgia had set in. Had set in, or, or it should have. Yeah. And I really think it, they thought that was what was going to be, you know, a saving grace for them, and it, and it wasn't. When that tour stopped, I was so upset because I thought I'd lost my chance to see Anthrax with Joey. Yeah. I was really upset, and I'm not gonna lie, and I was, I really just thought that was it. I, I I'm never gonna see this. And and, and so you know, and, and I was wondering, like, why are they doing, another, you know, another leg, you know, and uh, but apparently. Like people just still weren't ready, or or I maybe you know, nostalgia had not yet kicked in, or right. or or whatever, or maybe artistically because you know when Van Halen got back got back with David Lee Roth, those two songs are not that good, but their last album that they made with him was near excellent. Okay, we'll save that argument for the Van Halen because I love Me Wise Magic and can't buy <laughs> this stuff no more. I me yeah, wise, we're gonna fight. <laughs> me wise mad. I love, love, love it. Okay. And, me wise tragic. Okay. <laughs> no. And I bet you bring. I want to. I get Brad Wilk, the uh, the drummer from Rage Against Machine, on yeah. here. He is. He and I battle about who is the bigger uh, Van Halen fan. Yeah. Uh, me or him. All right. And so I'm gonna. I want to. I want to ask him specifically. Hey, they weren't tattoo. That's all I gotta say. That's good. Right. Uh, sure. In their favor, it wasn't sure. tattoo. Okay. Go ahead. So to, to, to streamline this thing, what I wanted to say was that. So there was something else that was kind of weird because it was just kind of like, okay, so are we in the band? Are we not in the band? Or are right. we only back in the band? Uh, because you talk about Belladonna and Spitz because you guys need us to bail you out. And then when that didn't happen, you know, the other guys, John Bush and them, well, 
you know, well, hey, you know, are we in the band or, or are you only wanting us back at the band because that didn't work out? You know, I think some there were some hurt feelings and I think that there was some some things that were that went down that you really can't blame anyone for. Uh, you know, you couldn't blame, um, you know, uh, John Bush, certainly. Uh, and they, you know, they weren't making any money. He went on to be this, this voice actor guy. And, yeah, I heard that. And, I was and, surprised. And, and, you know, he would have lost money to join Anthrax yeah. and, and all that. So what do you do? You get another singer. Mm-hmm. And here is something that that will probably, in, in terms of, of the Anthrax guys, and this is no disrespect whatsoever, but uh, but Dan Nelson, we call him Danthrax, the Danthrax period is probably the biggest blemish. You mentioned Ian's book earlier, and yeah. I don't think that he doesn't mentioned him, him at all. Uh, I guess hold my breath longer than he was in the band. <laughs> right, but here's the funny thing. I think that he may literally, I, I don't, I don't, this is probably not fact, but I, I'm not sure he did more than a dozen shows, like in terms of like live. Right. Band. He actually had recorded the worship music album with mm-hmm. at least most of it. Yeah. And I managed to somehow see three Dan Thrax shows. How were they? Okay. And here's what I was going to say about it was because the, you know, people kind of go, oh, it's got to be, you know, this guy or that guy. Or, you know, it's got to be David Lee, at this point, it, very similar to Van Halen. Because yeah. now it wasn't David Lee Roth or Sammy and third Hagar. Third time is never a charm. <laughs> third time is never a charm. But you see the comparison? <laughs> yeah, I do, of course. It wasn't, it, 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 this wasn't David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar. Yeah, this and is door number three. This was Gary Sharon. And, yeah. and sorry, Dan. But anyway, um, and so I managed to see it in, in the, the oddest of ways because back to mentioning Clutch earlier, okay? Right. I happened to be in the UK. And here's what we're going to title later. We're talking about Anvil before we, we went on the <laughs> air because you were part of the Anvil show last time. Right. Um, I was in the UK. I was in London. Bring it back again. We just played the Smiths London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a thing called the Hammersmith uh, 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 Boat. And what it is is that they do the, 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 uh, the Golden God Awards every single year. Right. And, and they were doing it at the O2 Arena. And they were there's a boat that goes down the Thames River that, that you can get on. Uh, that, that they'll have bands play on, like a big party. And it's an honor to be a part of this. It's an honor to play. Each band is like six songs in this little cramped little boat, but it's an honor to play the hammer ship. Right. You see what I'm saying? Is this along the lines of what the Sex Pistols did? Uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Like a little bit. Kind of a little bit, yeah. But but it's they do it every year. Okay, right. the, the hammer, go, uh, Revolver, whoever uh, produces yeah, that event. Revolver Golden Guts. So this year it was Life of Agony, uh, Clutch, and anthrax mm-hmm. and i remember that your ticket to get on was this paper mache kind of like scissor doll type indian headdress i see okay uh and so that kind of connects the anthrax thing and so and then it docked at the golden god awards which side note uh i actually didn't go when it docked i actually left and went to sheffield for a private show for the pixies mm-hmm. uh i mean I guess I could see the pictures play in a in a private art gallery. Wasn't going to pass that up. So yeah. anyway, but then because I knew that Anthrax was playing the next night at at uh, Union College there in London, and while I was there, since Anvil was part of the Golden God Awards, I saw it with Rob and Lips standing uh-huh. behind me, and it was very. And then the, the third time was after I got back to the states was in Tulsa at Rocklahoma, mm-hmm. so. And I and I and I'm certain that was the last time they played with them. I, I I'm I'm almost certain. Yeah. And what it was, you know, at that time you were seeing increasingly you were seeing um, Scott Ian, Scott Ian's Pantera, uh, 
thing. And, I, and obviously, you know, Morning Dime and, you know, and he had, you know, they had toured with Pantera. Next thing you know, you're seeing him hanging out with, with Pantera. This is obviously, I think Dime was even on a couple of the last two Anthrax records with John Bush. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's now got a pink beard like, uh, like <laughs> Dimebag. You know, a lot of this. And so I don't know why, but the Dan Nelson guy that called Danthrax was completely, it looked and sounded like Phil Anselmo. Okay. Oh, really? He was very immature. He had, his stage presence was uncomfortable. It, you can tell it made the other guys, especially Scott, very uncomfortable. And it was this very kind of this tough guy kind yeah. of thing. And Anthrax, even though after they lost the, the jam shorts and were no longer singing about, about comic books, still never left that friendliness behind them too right. much. And this was unfriendly. Mm. But I think that that would have never have worked, but I think it was more of an interpersonal thing between them. That's why that didn't work. But, well, um, you also heard that you know, Corey Taylor was supposed to be in the running for a short while, but it was contractual obligations or, or right. limitations, I should say, that disallowed him from doing that. Right. And I don't think that would have worked either. I, know that. I don't think so either. And I love Corey Taylor, but I don't see him singing for Anthrax either. It'd be the same thing as Phil Anselmo, like you said. It right. Was, not that he's uncomfortable. But you also identify him, Corey Taylor, with something completely different. Completely so it's kind of like, you know, the Scott Weiland uh, in. You know, in uh, yeah. Double Revolver, or or just you know, or or Axl Rose singing for ACDC or something. You know, yeah. you know, is I'm not saying that wasn't good, but you know, it's just you kind of need you kind of it has to be its own lane. Yeah, and so I I don't think that would have worked regardless, but I certainly don't think it worked on a personal level. You no, know, um, now uh, and and you know, the silver lining of that was that they invited Joey Belladonna to come back to the band. Mm -hmm. Okay. And talk about shocking. <laughs> Not only were we so happy to have Joey back in the band, but then they make an album like Worship Music. Let me tell you real quick. <laughs> when uh, we, oh, no, don't be old. What is it? Uh, Fight Until You Can't. When that was first streamed on uh, whatever I saw on Facebook, whatever it was, I never listened to songs that are streamed like on my phone or anything like that. I have to have the earbuds in or like, you know, I can't listen to it on a little speaker on my phone. I, I scrambled to get my earphones for this one. First of all, the artwork was amazing. Yeah. And then yes, I heard uh, it's it, unbelievable. Yeah. I was like, holy crap, this is so awesome. For the minute that song kicked in, I was just near tears. I was so happy. It was like the last 20 years never happened. You know, it was just And not, not, right not that we're up. trying to, to erase that by No, 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 of course not. You know? But this was this was the the follow-up to POT. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just like yeah. they they lost nothing from that album to worship music. You know what I mean? It was just, well, uh, it was unbelievable. It, it was more than that for me. And I'll tell you why. Like I said, they've always been pretty good about, about, about the album covers. Is it, is a, is a, they've always been really, really good about, you know, I mean, the album covers were always yeah. strong, but there was just, there was just something in the air about it. Yeah. There was something, not The just, time was right. Right. <laughs> so the nostalgic had kicked in. Yeah. And they could have floated on that. Mm -hmm. All right. For a little while, but that's not what they did. That's what that's the whole thing of what we were talking about earlier with, with, with Frankie was it's unbelievable how the album was called Worship Music. Not like you you go over there to worship some music. It was like this is worship music. Yeah. Do you understand? This is the soundtrack to your worshiping. Uh, right, right. This <laughs> is worship music. Yeah. Right. Okay. The album cover, strong. Belladonna back in the band. Yeah, strong as hell. All those things, but firing on all cylinders mm -hmm. in a way that in spite of who was fronting the band or, 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 or singing. Okay. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like no matter what, they had never had quite 
reach this thing. This was more like even even for the naysayers of City of Four we were talking earlier. Yeah. For them, this is almost like the follow up to Among the Living, but but it, but it wasn't a retro piece. That's that's the main thing. No. no. It, it, this was something where because it was organic again. Whereas the albums, no matter who was fronting it in the '90s, seemed to steer towards we have to compete with that. Whereas this, they were only competing with themselves. Yeah. It sounds like anthrax but it sounds relevant and modern and strong and just inspires yeah and one of the things i could say about this one and for all kings and especially on for all kings actually like i said before there was two distinct eras that's obvious but the music changed with john bush these two albums i could hear either one of them singing i could see john bush singing some of these songs because they sound like the john bush era but they also sound like joey's era and they, well, it's, a, it's a good mix but what they sound like is a band that is there's nothing stopping them. There's mm -hmm. there's no weird lineup changes or any sort of weird relationships. There's no weird contract obligations. There's no uh, new, um, you know, trend to contend with. Right. Not that they would even give a crap about that anyway. No, of course not. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it's so strong. And again, I want you to hear it from, uh, 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 from me is... Uh, Instead of hearing it from me, whatever, I want you to hear it from them. So this is actually my favorite. We talked about Dimebag earlier. There's a song that they that is now a, a staple. And as we were talking about earlier was how cool is it when the show last Friday on the, on the Slayer tour consisted of, of songs primarily from the last two albums. Mm -hmm. That's how strong this stuff is. And one that will probably be in their, in their set list until their very last show is actually a tribute to Ronnie James Dio mm -hmm. and Dimebag Daryl called In the End. But instead of playing that, I wanted to play a song called The Constant. Right. Okay. It's my favorite song off of worship music and maybe one of my favorite anthrax songs ever. <laughs> two of my favorite anthrax songs ever are from the last two albums. Yes. Yeah, it's an amazing album. It really is. Here is The Constant from 2011's Worship Music.
So anyway, I uh, love that song. I love the groove of it. I love that whole album. And like I said, you know, and it wasn't a fluke because then they follow it up with this year's For All Kings. Uh, something happened that year. The lead up and the buildup of that album was also so unbelievably perfect. And something that happened was, you know, we were talking about, obviously, the big four. Anthrax is part of the unofficial big four, Metallica, Slayer, and Megadeth. And ironically, by 2011, it was understood and, and learned that those four bands had actually never played together before, like as in one big show. Uh, you know, Metallica had kind of broken away from the pack in the early right. 90s and didn't really, you know, need to do that. So they tested it out in Europe with a series of shows. And I guess they were worried how that was going to play out in America because, you know, the stronghold of that kind of music still exists is in Europe, okay? So if you remember, they did a film event where they filmed one of the shows, or I think it was actually was live. I think it was in... Sofia, Bulgaria. In Sofia, Bulgaria, thank you. And it was a film event, like an in-theater event here in the States. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were going to say, based upon the sales of, of attendance of that, do we want to invest money to make this happen? Well, apparently it didn't go very well. Uh, because they decided to only do two shows. And, and initially, it was only one show. Those uh, that are familiar with the Coachella Festival, the, the very prestigious festival out in Indio, California, will, are very familiar with the Empire Polo Grounds. And I actually was out there uh, for, I've been, I went to every Coachella in the 2000s. Um, and put my prints earlier, if you remember, I went out there uh, for the 21 nights, and I was out there for the first three nights. And as you t I told Frankie, as you heard in the interview, uh, then I went out to the Empire Polo Grounds a week after Coachella for the very, very first and one of now only two ever Big Four shows, uh, which is also the very last performance actually ever of Jeff Hanneman with Slayer mm -hmm. before he passed away. Uh, but at that time, worship music hadn't even come out yet. We'd heard, I think, Fight Until You Can't, I think, and maybe even... And, and I'd heard a couple of months of those dance tracks. I'd already heard Earth on Hell and things like that. Right. Uh, but what an amazing thing to be a part of that. And I guess they decided later on that we, uh, you know, it would be unfair to just do it on one coast. So we have to do it on the other coast, <laughs> you know, the coast that Anthrax is from. Yeah. And for a band like Anthrax that you equate with New York, uh, you know, you remember seeing, you know, that's what made them different than the other three is that, right. you know, they're, they were from California and is from New York. You remember how Scotty always had the, the Yankees, uh, you know, he wore oh, a Yankees guitar, hat yeah. on his guitar on that old Kramer he had and, or Charvel, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, or was it Ibanez? No, not actually. Uh, <laughs> anyway, and, uh, so for Anthrax to be able to play Yankee stadium and not even in like 1985 on a fluke. But in 2011, for them to play Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, earlier that day, the mayor of the Bronx declared that day Anthrax Day. Nice. There was a proclamation. As you heard in the interview uh, earlier when I'm talking about uh, this, I was very fortunate that I got to be side stage for this. And as I told Frankie, I was like, and I'm pretty sure I was near – uh, some family members of Anthrax because there were some very emotional uh, 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 people that were around <laughs> me, and but we all were. Yeah, we knew what this meant for them, you know. 
Anthrax returns to the Bronx. Kings. We're all kings. Mm. But returns. <laughs> there. Yeah. Right. But returns, seriously, mm. returns to the Bronx. They all still live there, except for, uh, you know, Charlie lives in Chicago now, and Scott has been out in California for, I don't know, about 20 years now. But yeah. um, uh, I think Joey as well. Uh, anyway, but to return there. And it came out wearing the Yankees pinstripes. To, Those are awesome jerseys, by yeah, the way. Yeah, to Frank Sinatra's <laughs> My Way. I mean, very, very New York. Yeah. Uh, and he'd be able to do that. And as you heard him say in the interview, that the, the two best times of his life, whenever he was on stage with Don Rickles <laughs> and on stage. Uh, and, I, and I think that his grandmother, which I guess would be Charlie's mother, who, uh, who passed away um, uh, this year, uh, rest in peace to her, got to see that happen. Uh, but what an unbelievable day there in the Bronx. Uh, one of the best days, like I said, and I was so fortunate, I was able to, you know, because of my relationship with, with, with the band over the years and all that, was able to watch side stage and really get to be a part of that. And yeah. I was there with the proclamation. Two days prior, and this is also the cool thing, was that it was, they had released worship music the day before. Remember when, when records came out on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, the, the show was on, um, uh, the album came out actually on September 12th, and I believe, and this show was on September the 13th. That Monday, two days prior, they did a show in Times Square, the Best Buy Theater there, whatever they're calling it now, um, uh, to kind of, kind of like officially kind of, you know, kind of like a midnight release type kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And what opened that show was this thing that they do kind of like a, like a, like a, like a, like a dream summer camp kind of thing with i forget what they call that like metal alliance or something whatever metal allegiance or something and it's like all the great so you so so what opened the show was like carrie king big mike portnoy he's part of like Scottian's kind of crew there um we're just up there. dave elveson from megadeth we're all doing this these like metal covers mm -hmm. and they even speaking of the connection with baseball uh from 1986 and all that stuff was happening was if you ever collect baseball cards from our baseball card collectors out there was the 86 tops set. And they actually had baseball cards made in the design of the 86 tops that featured every member of the big four nice. uh, of Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. That's awesome. And so just such a, an amazing, wonderful thing. And I wanted to say that uh, talk about returning and, and it's another benefit as we wrap up here was that they actually did a couple of a tiny little place in Brooklyn called St. Vitus. I actually managed at one time to pull off the feet of seeing the band St. Vitus, play the song St. Vitus at the club St. Vitus while drinking St. Vitus beer. <laughs> uh, tiny little place. Um, and they ended up doing two nights, originally just one night to, uh, for uh, a benefit that's in the name of Gilda Radner for breast cancer. This is mm -hmm. Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And as you heard, we talked about, we talked about this during the interview. So I want to encourage everybody to uh, to look up uh, uh, Gil Gilda's Cure. Uh, just go online there, and uh, it's a great, great cure uh, all month long. We also have partnered with the Susan G. Komen um, uh, Foundation, which benefits uh, survivors of uh, 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 breast cancer. So, uh, so anyway, so again, so for, so for them to return to Brooklyn to do, and the show sold out, you know, and then they did the second show. They had a show in Connecticut at a festival like that day. So again, they did something like four shows in, I think, like 36 hours or something. <laughs> like bosses, yeah. like kids, like young people still putting out after 35 years of anthrax, still putting out relevant, 
amazing, awesome music and still being able to pull off doing two midnight shows in a small club when they had a festival show that afternoon. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Final thoughts for you. Uh, to paraphrase one of my favorite songs on For All Kings, you can choose your battles. You can choose your battles. But my friends, celebrating 35 years of Anthrax and talking about it with Roy, this battle shows us. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I love that. I love Very that. Very good. It just came to me. <laughs> and so to bring it back to the Stadia 40 album and the Headbangers. One of our tour, favorites, Scotty. And right. But more importantly, <laughs> our introduction. Yes. Uh, uh, to, our gateway. Exactly. Well, again, like I said, I, I, just a right album for the right time that I was so happy yes. to be a part of. Shout out to Steve Ainsworth once again. Uh, again, I want to thank Mike DeQuincio, thank my co-host, and, and all of our sponsors. Uh, and, and once again, so I think it's perfect to end with the final song from City Euphoria, which actually has the appropriate title, finally, or finale, as you, you, you would pronounce it. But again, for my co-host, Mike DeQuincio, I'm Roy Turner. Thank you so much. Uh, for joining us this week, and thanks again uh, to the guys in Anthrax and Frank Bellow specifically. Uh, and again, keep rocking, guys. Thanks for 35 years of, uh, of spreading the disease, as they, as they say. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle is a tricky kid, and the number two. That's T R I C K Y K I D, and the number two. Uh, look us up on Facebook. Just type in Tricky Kid Radio Podcast and uh, just click the like button there. And you'll get all kinds of updates about shows like this and future ones coming up. Uh, again, the show is free. It's every Thursday. So if you haven't already subscribed, go to iTunes and uh, type in uh, Tricky Kid Radio Podcast and just subscribe. And this will pop in your uh, iTunes uh, or whatever app you're using. Also for uh, Android users as well. And you also can stream it from the site, uh, which is www.tricky-kid.com. That's T-R-I-C-K-Y-K-I-D.com. And again, we'll see you next week. And thanks for anth thanks to Anthrax for 35 years. Here's finally.